Hello and welcome to the Inner Gamer episode 283. We are the video game source for you, the casual gamer. My name is Brian Oski. And I'm Awesome Riles. And this week on the Inner Gamer podcast, we have a special guest, Justin Varghese, one of our good friends, who is a North American marketing manager for DreamHack. And, uh, what, what? Yeah, what, what? Shout out to him. Cool guy. He joins us for all of our segments. I know, it's crazy. It's a, a long time since I actually had a guest on. So. This is he's he's breaking the ice. I don't think we, we have are a, very excited. Yeah, I don't think we've had a guest on since COVID happened, huh? I don't think so. Well, no, we had a nerd she wrote for a little that's bit. That's right, um, right, right like, at the beginning of it. Yeah, that's right, that's right. Anyway, so this week on the Game Podcast, me and Brett jump into Rogue Company. Justin talks about Monster Train, and then the gaming news. WB Games uh, announced some cool games that we talk about. And one of them, I think, will be Game of the Year 2021. Yeah. <clears throat> Ghost of Legends, uh, we talk about some Battlefield 6 stuff. And then Dr. Lupo. He was the Fallen One in Fall Guys. Oh, after much, much searching for the <laughs> Fallen One. That's right. And discussion topic, we talk about the future of gaming convention, conven- convictions, conventions with Justin Varghese. So he dives into his knowledge of what they had to do to change everything for this year because of COVID and how they're moving forward and the new uh, things that they have developed online to continue to make DreamHack 365. So stay tuned for that and cue that music. Welcome to the It is August 25th, 2020. Welcome to the Inner Gamer Podcast. For first listeners, welcome to the show. We make this podcast for our fans, so if you ever have any feedback, please let us know on the social media channels. Also, if you're a return visitor, thank you for sticking with us. If you want to make the show better, please consider donating or simply sharing this episode with a friend. You can visit theinnergamer.net slash donate to contribute. And as always, make sure you tune in to watch us on Twitch every single Wednesday at 7 p.m. Central Time to check us out as we're playing some awesome, exciting new games at twitch.tv slash the inner gamer cast and before we jump into the games we play this week we have a very exciting special guest on the podcast we have justin varghese from dreamhack what's up man yo good to be back with the boys i feel like it's been over a year since we were able to get on a podcast together dude i think it has it's Wild. definitely been over a year and a lot has happened a lot has changed in a, a little year. bit hey, y'all a little remember bit. people i don't remember people <laughs> I, yeah <laughs> I mean, people, I guess, are a thing. You know, I, now I feel like most of the people I interact with are uh, NPCs and video games. So yeah. that's that's a pretty good thing. Or I see people's faces inside of a screen, which who knows? We all could not be real or we are. <laughs> well, real. unlike know. y'all, my job requires me to see people all the time. So I'm trying to forget people. <laughs> <laughs> I have not taken a break since coronavirus. So you're in the opposite situation. That, that's right. Yes. That's right. Yes. Very cool. <laughs> Well, well, Justin, it's awesome to have you on the show. Joining us this time, we're going to talk about some video games. We're going to talk about some news, and we're going to talk about what you've been up to with uh, all the DreamHack happenings and some new things y'all are working on. So, really excited to jump into that. But first, let's talk about some video games we've been playing. And I am actually going to dive into a game that me and Austin have been playing called Rogue Company. Ooh, okay. Justin, have you played this game before? You know, I haven't, but I know that a lot of the content creators that I follow have been scooped up for various influencer campaigns. You know, you'll see a lot of. Uh, like rogue partner hashtags on Twitter and things like that from folks like Dr. Disrespect hmm. and whatnot. Uh, but I myself have not had a chance to actually play. What are your thoughts? 
Yeah. It's, it's really interesting. It's a, it's in like early access right now. So you can buy these different founders editions. So we picked up the low price one, I think it was $14.99 or whatever, I believe. And you get a set number of heroes. And then if you pay higher tier level uh, founders packs, you get more heroes unlocked through the game, or you can just buy them individually as you jump into the game. Mm. But it was, it was surprising to me kind of the, it's, it kind of brings games back to a, almost a simpler time in a weird way. It's a lot more grounded and focused on just the gameplay and the competitive nature. Like you work with your team, play together, but there's no, you know, battle pass. There's none of these cosmetics everywhere. There's none of this extra stuff that's added in these games. It's just very focused on these small arena based kind of tactical uh, maps that are designed. They kind of feel a little bit, I, I kind of feel like it's a mix between like Counter-Strike and Valorant and there's another game in there that I can't think of right now. Maybe but Halo like, a little bit, maybe. Maybe, maybe. Because yeah, I, I, I could... bring that up because I know that I think the principal designer on that, um, Scott Gandhi, actually used to be a professional Halo player. So no, no way. There is a chance that there are some of those influences, right? So if it feels a little bit like a, like a 2000 shooter, that's probably wise because... I mean, it's Gandhi, right? Like he's the dude. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when it comes to that sort of stuff. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun. Awesome. What were, what were your thoughts on it when we played? Well, originally, I I really did like it. Like, there's a honeymoon phase for sure, and I like the way that you know the teams work, and it was interesting to go in there. And I guess it's kind of Counter Strike where you have to buy stuff, right? Is that how yeah. Counter Strike works? I can't remember now, but <laughs> yeah, it's the first thing that popped yeah. in my head. I was like, that's right, right? Uh, it's a, like it's cool that you can upgrade or make yourself more powerful powerful over time and uh i guess really don't see too much of that anymore i mean i don't play counter-strike anymore i don't know about you guys but yeah. um i was like it's an it's a good it's a good refresh i mean it is fresh like brett said like it's nice to go back to something so simple and easy you just go in there and it's like really quick but it's almost too quick and then we played with josh one of our discord peeps and he was saying that you know it's he he's basically almost done with it and it doesn't have a lot a lot of legs to stand on and you know i it kind of refreshed the way i was looking at it and i think it is a little too too simple um not saying you should have battle pass or skins and stuff but i think there could be more to it i mean we haven't played an exorbitant amount of time of it so but the little time that we did play it i'm kind of like do i even want to go back to this <laughs> it's just so <laughs> simple uh, and then I think there's other things out there that can, you know, be better. But yeah, I may, maybe I'm a little skewed that now that Battle Pass has become such a common thing that, I don't know, having something to work toward has is, is been fun. Oh, no. Yeah, I know. Is it, is it falling into that Apex trap potentially? Yeah, I think right? so. It's, it's f- wild. It's wild. It's like, oh, man, the gameplay is great. But I just need to be able to earn more things. <laughs> like what? <Yeah. laughs> it, it is really weird. Yeah. With uh, I mean, Overwatch, you know, brought out the the whole loot box thing and stuff right. like that, and we got used to the the loot box rhythm of getting unlockables through that, which I felt like was very slow. And then Apex comes out, and it's a little bit faster. But now all these games, it seems every single game you play, you get a ding or a ping or something of this new unlockable that you got. And it just, it's always throwing things your direction of you got this reward, like whether it be materials or it be a gun skin or it's a person skin or whatever it is. It's, it's odd in this game, not having that progression uh, system in play, but I I think it's a nice kind of like a, 
palate cleanser, I guess, from all these other games that can be overwhelming. Like jumping in this game, it's very easy to jump into a game, play for, I think there's three, it's, it's first to three uh, wins, essentially. And you you drop in, you, like Austin said, you have a, a buy system, which, you know, Valorant has that buy system now too, which I haven't played Valorant yet, but I hear a lot of people jump into that game and diving into it. But we... Um, you have the buy system, which is great because if your if your team starts doing well, I mean, you get more money that you can then spend to upgrade. And it just helps to kind of elevate that that success rate in the game to kind of drive you forward. So having a strong team does help in this game, but it's still one where if you don't have a strong team, if you're really good, you can still make make stuff happen. But it was I had a good time with it, but I I definitely could see myself not. I mean, it's not going to become a hundred hour plus game. I'm going to sink all my time into, but. It is a nice break from all these other crazy things where there's I just like the the shorter condensed modes because I'm so used to Warzone and Apex and all these things where you're in a battle royale that's you know, you're expected to probably play that match for thirty, forty minutes or whatever to get through the entirety of it unless you die. But <laughs> if you don't, then you're gonna be in there dedicated for a long time. And this is nice to just play for 15 minutes and then your matches are done you can drop out and go do something else well i think the issue is is it's kind of the bleeding edge bleeding edge issue as you're you're winning or you're not and that's the problem there's it at least the games we play it kind of seemed like you know if we didn't have the upper hand we're just absolutely getting trashed you know and then it doesn't make any better that the other team gets a bunch of money so they can upgrade themselves even more and uh, I guess, you know, the more we play, the more we'll understand the makeup of the other characters right. and things like that to count, buy the necessary upgrades to counteract them. But I, I just think that was a problem. It's just yeah. didn't see a good way to, like, come back. I think we yeah. no, we never came back. We just lost. That's no, that's, yeah, <laughs> that's you're right, because we were getting steamrolled in that one map where there was there's <laughs> one map that had there's two control points that switch based on the round that you're playing in. So there's either one that's dead center in the map. And then the other one is on the far, like one far end of the map. So you have, you go tight over to that, that end of the map and there's just basically two entry points. And then there's a a single flanking position. So if that team takes control of that point and has it like breaking in there, you have two ways to get in there and chances are one of the ways is being blocked by the enemy. And the other way is your only way in. So they can set up traps because there are, there are some like hero abilities in this game. Like every character that you have has a different ability. I was playing a character named Dallas who (laughs) had the ability to see through walls for a few seconds, which was awesome. So I could turn that on. And then all of a sudden I reveal all the characters within a radius around me to not only myself, but my teammates, which is super valuable for that uh, game mode of your, capturing a control point yeah but um it was it was definitely could get easily one-sided if you played a little too much (laughs) and or if the other team just had a a better composition they just could really take over and own i I guess there's a couple thoughts then around um the individual gameplay itself based on how you described it to me um as well as their general strategy overall with the game, right? Yeah. So talking about the game itself, uh, games like Counter-Strike and Valorant, um, games that typically have some sort of buy mechanic, tend to make it so that there are built-in functionalities within the game itself that prevent things from feeling too snowball-y. So for instance, if you every time you lose in Counter-Strike, the amount of money that you get per round increases and it caps out after you lose like 
four or five times in a row to the point where okay. it surpasses the economy of how much uh, the other side has, right? The winning team has. So it could be something like the winning team gets $2,000 for the round, but by the time the losing team loses like four in a row, they're making $2,500, right? Um, is, is it a thing where in this game, it just feels super snowball in the sense that the team that wins round one, they have all the resources and they're super likely to just run away with the whole thing or... I think it's less of the, I think if you, if they get more money, I don't think it's going to give them a significant advantage over the other part. I think it's about more on like controlling the, the, the choke point okay. or the, the main, the main area. And if they take control of it first, because one of the things that also happens too, is if you take control of a, a control point, you start bleeding their, their tickets, which either by killing an enemy or, um, holding a point will start bleeding the enemy's tickets down and mm-hmm. that's how you eventually win. So if they control that point, they're not only if they're killing you, plus they have the point control, they're like two X taking down your, your tickets away from you so they can expedite that faster. And then getting in there, especially if it's a tight space, like that one I talked about on the, the far side, I mean, it's, it's real hard if they have a full team in there ready to go with their, all their different abilities, they're, they're going to have a mega advantage on right. you. Um, so it's, and you can try and flank and get around them, but unless you have like really good team communication, which, you know, we weren't using mics and um, our team was using mics, but we had one extra person that was just doing his thing. Um, that made it a little bit more, more difficult, but overall, I mean, I, I think it's, I think it's a good, a good game and it's again, it's still early access. So right. there's, there's so many things that they could do with this to make it, make it better, whether it be add in. You know, just I mean, balance is a big thing. I mean, if they can they can adjust the balance to make sure that there's really good, um, you know, counterparts to different characters, I think that would that would help a lot. But I enjoyed it, it's, but I don't think it's for everybody. I don't think it's gonna be like a. Yeah. It's not gonna become like the powerhouse of the world, like Warzone did, or sure. you know, Apex did for a minute, and all that stuff. It's it's, it's high res that's that's pushing it, right? I think so, which yeah. I, I mean, if I remember correctly, I think they did Paladins. They, they did Paladins, Smite, and then, Realm Royale. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and that was the other side of it, too, is like this is a company that really knows the free-to-play model very well. Yeah. So for them to deviate from that and have a, a model that is not free-to-play, but more so, you know, you buy in for a small fee, uh, that, that strikes me as a bit interesting in this time in particular, right? Yeah. Where... I feel like gaming is like the concept of games as a service is very quickly becoming industry standard to a degree, especially from a multiplayer perspective. I mean, even a game like Halo Infinite, which hasn't even been released yet, we're already getting the insight that the multiplayer for that game is going to be free. Yeah, it's going to be a free standalone concept. And so for Rogue Company to, I guess deviate from what is now industry standard is a bit surprising to me anyways, Um, especially also given the fact that the FPS market is extremely saturated right now. Holy shit. It's saturated right now. Like, I don't know. I, um, I think the one nice thing is that it seems like they have deep pockets and good connections. They seem to get uh, <laughs> some of the, the biggest streamers uh, that are known in the FPS space to uh, kind of co-op the game in various ways. So that could help them. But who knows? Um, uh, it's going to be very interesting to see if, you know, if uh, Timmy Two follows who ends up following these streamers, you know, if they have the $15 or not, you know, yeah, that's another whole conversation. That's true. 
Yeah. What, what are your thoughts on the the whole industry directing towards games as a service model being it. kind of a dominant thing? You love it? I really love it, honestly. Um, <clears throat> I think that it makes it so that the barrier for entry for people to play games is reduced significantly. And okay. for me, as somebody who works in the gaming space, that's the most important thing. I think that the more people who play games, the more people understand like what gaming is about. Um, I think especially, you know, if you want to get super meta about it, you can tell that there is a huge disconnect generationally between people who play games and people who don't, right? That's why you'll have like boomer congressmen saying just the dumbest things and, and trying to try to make up absolute nonsense about how video games make people violent and things like that, even though there's countless yeah. studies that disprove this, right? But people who actually play games, whenever people actually sit down and have a chance to play with their friends and family, like you can see the positive impact firsthand that that can have towards somebody. So right. a games as a service model, I'm really happy about because that makes it so that more people get to play games with their friends and family, right? It's way easier uh, in that sense. And I think that the only thing that I would like to make sure happens is that big studios overall don't necessarily give up on developing very deep, intimate, uh, and expansive single-player experiences as a result of that. That is my one concern about games as a service, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and very fortunately, we do have some very strong industry cases on how, hey, you can make a standalone single-player game and it can still be insanely successful for you as a studio, right? Um, the Witcher 3, great example of that, right? They uh, they sold millions and millions and millions of copies of that game. I, I think, what was it, like 20 million copies so far, if not more? Yeah. That's a bunch. Yeah, yeah. They're uh, they're doing just fine in that sense. Um, I think that it's probably easier for some folks to uh, push out some kind of multiplayer game instead um, and make it free to play and then go on the uh, the cosmetic train. But uh, I, I hope that we still have that creativity from a AAA standpoint. But fortunately, we definitely have it in the indie level um, to yeah. at least make up that gap a bit. Yeah, I think everyone just sees the AAA single player is more of a risky endeavor these days because it's either hit or miss and you know I, I get it and i don't think there's anything wrong like a company having their cash cow that's fine like let them have it so they yeah. can as long as you know they have a clear goal that these is or this is going to fund other projects and not be like uh epic games and that's all they got now <laughs> <laughs> hey they got unreal engine 5 that's true that's looking that's true. super clean that's true yeah. But still, and they have a. <laughs> I they am have that totally fine. Apple. I am totally fine with Epic milking the Fortnite cow for all that it's worth. If it means that the next generation of games gets to be that much better because of the resources they have now, because they're printing money off of twelve-year-olds, I'm fine with. That. Oh yeah, okay. I have no oh, problem with that whatsoever. <laughs> what What are your thoughts on the uh, Epic Games Apple debacle that's going oh, on man. right now? Okay, Epic knew exactly what they were doing. Oh, Epic totally knew did. exactly what they. You think that they they did this not expecting any blowback from Apple whatsoever? Oh, yeah. They had the 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 nineteen eighty four parody ready to go. It's not like they were like, oh damn, I guess we got sued. Let's whip this up in thirty minutes and push that out on the internet. They knew they were fully prepared and they knew right away what they were getting into. That being said. I am very excited about the implications this will have in regards to uh, how Apple kind of has this stronghold on developers in general. And I'm hoping that 
overall, it's going to make it so that the playing field is a little bit more even for uh, these app developers and whatnot, so they can get more of a fair share. Because Apple right now taking 30% off of not only the initial app purchase, but also every single purchase within the app itself feels a little excessive to me as just a dumb marketing person with no idea on how servers work or anything like that. Yeah. Um, but but I, I, I do feel like given Apple's profit margins and just how, uh, I guess, hit or miss apps can be in general, if there is a way to maybe make it so that it's a it's more of a fair share it could make it so that we could see some better apps, I think, long-term as a result of that. So Yeah. Yeah, it's it's been an interesting one. I mean, we talked about it a lot last week where um, <clears throat> I don't like the way in which Epic brought this to light. Like, I felt like they could have done it a different way without, like, strong-arming Apple into this situation. Ooh, I love it, though. You like it? Oh, I yeah. love it. I love yeah. it. Because Epic knows... So, so I love it in theory anyways, because Epic ha- yeah. <laughs> knows that they have like a huge base um, of people who are ready to absolutely, you know, go ham on, on nuking Apple's brand affinity, right? They know yeah. that for them, it's part of the strategy is like, okay, if we do this, then, you know, Apple, a brand that cares a lot of their, about their brand affinity is going to be negatively impacted for however long this goes if we make a big public spectacle of it, right? Yeah. There is the other downside that right now Fortnite players actually, if you look at the graphs, um, their affinity towards Apple has not really changed as much as you would think. But right. a lot of that is also tied to the same graph showing that Fortnite players right now are very angry at the state of the game as is because the meta it feels like super like just not unfun to play for yeah. especially at, at higher level play wow. like i think you know somebody sneezes and it's like a, a, a 60 story mansion is built up in front of them right like it's <laughs> it's it's it, 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 it's not in the best place right now um and, and I, for for i think a lot of um a lot of players at least seems to be the feedback anyways now epic yeah one thing that I will give them credit for, though, is especially I think uh, in more recent times, they've been really good at listening to player feedback and adapting as a result of that. So I think that if they can maybe make those right adaptations and the right tweaks to the game to make it so that it's still friendly to casuals, but it's also very a little bit nicer for the more higher level players, then maybe they can get their brand affinity back. And then you combine that with what they're doing now with the Apple Cup. Like Epic is doing an Apple Cup essentially, um, and giving out free like corporate like evil corporate Apple skins to players who participate yeah. things like that. I I don't know. There's a lot that's going on there, and I think that Epic, you know, it's 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 not a David and Goliath story at all. It's it's a Goliath and Goliath story more or less. Right. Um, and I'm I'm hoping that things do maybe not go a hundred percent Epic's way, but enough to the point where other developers in the space have value from it yeah i mean i I can see there definitely being a time where i i see the reason and the need for apple to have on the apple side to have a a cost of entry because of the the strict review policies they have in place and all Mm -hmm. these different pieces to that but i do think that now where we are and how much money is coming in from all these different revenue streams within apple just i mean Apple makes a boatload of money and they could drop it to 20% and still make a shit ton of money and save so much for the small person who doesn't have that. And I think that's a a big piece of that. 
that could that could definitely help. I mean, look at and again, going back to like when Steam and Epic had their kind of mm-hmm. kerfuffle and they came out and said, hey, we're going to bring out this Epic game store. I did, again didn't like the way that Epic approached that because, I mean, me personally, I love Steam. I think they're great Same, and yeah. the people behind them and stuff like that. But they did at the end of the day get every group to they got Steam to change the ways. Epic changed the ways a little bit. So that did kind of end up working out. I mean, at the end of the day, it also still put more money in Epic's pocket too. So it's like, it's a win-win for them. Like they also can put out this, this statement and say like, Hey, we're changing it for everybody. But at the same time, they're also getting more money for themselves. I just don't see um, why they thought this was a good idea. The back self in the corner, they, they got banned from both uh, major app stores for mobile phones. I'm making you money off of this, and if I was them, I'd be like, I'm not letting you back on this. We don't need you at all. And then now you have a bunch of people who, I mean, I heard they're selling phones with the Fortnite app on it on eBay. I don't know yeah. how many people are yeah, buying like that or how much they're selling them for. It's just ridiculous. It's like, why? Uh, the Flappy what, Bird Syndrome. Remember? What made yeah, exactly. you decide that this was a good course of action? <laughs> I mean, it makes sense long term. Like, think about it this way. Um <clears throat> If if they're building out not just Fortnite but whatever future products they have to be, um, not just you know a, a, a two year lifespan but more so generational products, which it's it's it sounds wild, but a lot of people in the game space are trying to look at things as generational more so, like not generational like Xbox three hundred and sixty to Xbox One, but like generational generational like decades long, right? Yeah. If if this is off the app store for two years and they're predicting not only this product but future products are going to be around for the next 50 and they're getting a sizable more chunk as a result of that, uh, it, as well as a ton of um, interest in what Epic is doing overall and brand affinity potentially as a result also – then I think that it does make for some longer-term plays that make it so that this feels feasible as a business decision. I think it also does cultivate maybe a little bit more trust within people, uh, uh, I think, that are developers in particular uh, towards Epic, which means that maybe as a long-term, long-term play, in addition to having some sort of competition for um, Steam, like they did with the Epic Game Store, maybe having competition for the mobile market as well is a potential long-term process, I think, that Epic could get into if they really wanted to. So, yeah. I don't know. There's a lot of implications there. This is just me with my stupid tinfoil hat on. But, <laughs> but I, I think that yeah. it's totally fine for them. It's totally worth the gamble. Yeah. Well, I don't think they're cool. going to win that gamble. <laughs> <laughs> we'll Fair. see. I don't yeah. know. Well, we got this week they have, uh, I think Apple still has their their policy that they put out against Epic that was like, you know, if you don't, I don't know if it was a back down or whatever it was, but basically they said they were going to not allow Unreal Engine in there to have to access to developer tools for iOS and Mac. It's big. So it's huge. They're they're pushing at them with that, and I'm I'm curious to see what that happens. With, I think that turns on the 26th, I believe, 25th or 26th this week. They're going to cut that if they don't. I don't know if they need to pull a lawsuit or what the deal is with uh, it. But I'll, I'll tell you what, man. That's just gonna if they do something like that, it's just gonna be Candy Crush on iOS, and that's it. Like oh, they're gonna get true. real comfortable with those Candy Crush earnings. Oh man. Oh my gosh. Yeah, screw that. We I don't want Candy see. Crush anymore. What happens with that? Anyway, so I'm sorry for derailing us into a conversation on Apple and Epic, but Justin, Monster Train. I want to hear about this, dude. Yeah. So Monster Train is a game that. 
uh, I started playing uh, not super long ago. I, yeah. I think maybe a, a month and a half ago or so. But dude, that game is just way too good. That game is just way too good. So it's for folks who don't know, Monster Train. Um, it, it it's a little similar to games like Slay the Spire. It's a roguelike deck building game uh, where you know every single run is different, and if you die, your run ends essentially, right? And the whole time you're going through uh, different bosses, you choose hero combination that make up the initial starting set of cards that you have, and some of the cards you could potentially have access through uh, throughout your run. Uh, and it's just really fun. It's it's got a ton of replayability. They launched the Mutators expansion, uh, which is a free expansion that came out. I think a month ago, they're getting ready to announce another expansion that's headed uh, our way in, I think, a week or so. Uh, so this game is seriously plugging along. Um, I think it was a great pickup by Good Shepherd, who uh, ended up publishing the game. I think Shiny Shoes is the one that developed it. But these are folks who very clearly have a keen understanding in regards to what it takes to make a great balanced deck building game uh that's a ton of fun it's got uh really good music the animations are fun each of the hero archetypes are really unique that make it so that if you're a a dumb aggro player like me you can just have big giant dudes just beating the shit out of tinier or more (laughs) giant dudes Uh, or you can be a little bit more tactical and spell oriented or be some kind of combination of all the above it's a great game i have sunk 160 hours into this game in uh, the, the period of, of, I don't know, like two months or something like that. So take my word for it. It's super good. I'm about to pick this one up. Yeah. It, uh, I'm not I'm not into the deck builders that much, but I like I I've tried playing several of them and I do enjoy them. But then there's a point where it's all this is all single player, though, right? You're not yeah, playing against anybody. So it's just all like a single player story. It's all a single player story. There are some multiplayer components, though, that they're fleshing out. So one of them is almost like a, a train race of sorts where you queue up against like eight other people and you're all given a random deck and random hero. And it's uh, it keeps track of like how many points everybody gets and how far they make it. Yeah. Which is really cool. So That is cool. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm about to pick it up. I like the... <laughs> I'm watching the trailer and they have all the googly eyes with all the characters. Oh, yeah. That was part of the Mutators like that. expansion. That's, yeah, that's hilarious. Um yeah, I want to pick this one up. What has Good Shepherd done before? I know that name from other projects in the past, Ooh. and I'm curious to see as I recognize that that uh, that logo. The logo is very iconic. Um, Black Future Phantom Doctrine. That's what it was. Oh. I never played this game, but we met them at uh, PAX one time. Yeah. Uh, them producing that that game, but awesome Monster Train. Let's check that out. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a good game. Cannot cannot stress this enough. Just how how fun that game is. Highly highly recommended for sure. Hell yeah! I'm gonna go pick it up today. I think and give it a try. Well, I think that's gonna wrap it up for the games that we played this week. Austin, is there anything else you wanna wanna throw in here? You how good? are you gonna add another game to your list, man? It's just oh, you know, you know, I'm just <laughs> gonna just, add it to the list and then I'll play it five point. years you're from not now. Even a yeah. <laughs> I looked the through my library. Yeah. <laughs> the inner collector. Like, I just want to have exactly it. Right. Sit, sit there and look at me. I know I was thinking about all the things that are coming out in the next several weeks mm. and um trying to figure out how I'm going to finish all of these things what do you have right in now? this condensed time. Well, I'm playing through The Last of Us and Ghost of Tsushima and Final Fantasy. what else did I start? 
Oh, I haven't started that. Oh, I don't okay. think I'm going to start that. I I I'm just going to let that live on its own ether for a while, <laughs> and then I might jump into it down the line. I gotcha. But um, it's, it's worth less when you think it out of the box, right? That's yeah. what it is. Flight Simulator, <laughs> yeah. I know you don't even have the out-of-the-box experience anymore. You can't like go pick it up and get all excited to like open it up. I mean, I do sometimes <laughs> with PlayStation games, but it's it's definitely not. I still have Red Dead Redemption 2 that I haven't finished. I haven't like, finished sit on my shelf. God of War. Like I haven't Dude, finished that game. What? My buddy and I literally finished God of War um finally, uh like a couple <laughs> days ago, and then immediately oh, got into Last of Us right after that. It's God of War is amazing. So yeah. good. Talk about that's that's my hope is that if if you know, even if there is maybe less single player experiences overall, if they're all around God of War tier, we're good. <laughs> we're good, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like it's like the state of hip hop right now, right? Most yeah. of it is absolute trash, but the stuff that is good is so good that it makes up for the rest of it. And I'm fine with that. <laughs> I am fine with that. I need a That's new Kendrick fair. project right yeah. now. Well, right now. <laughs> thank God we have nice. PlayStation. That's all I got to say. <laughs> there you go. Awesome. That's going to wrap up for the games we play this week. If you want to play games with us each and every week, you can join us in our Discord channel. You can check out that link in the show notes. Also, if you like what you hear, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or simply share this episode with a friend. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with our video game news. Have you ever found yourself on your way to a friend's house for a LAN party or a con like DreamHack with no easy way to transport your gear? It's heavy, it's complicated, and you have to deal with about five minutes of parking restrictions. Thanks to our new sponsor, Crazy Pro Gear, you don't have to worry about that. They have an awesome pro-level backpack that can hold any mid-sized tower or smaller, your accessories, peripherals, and everything except your monitor. We used it at QuakeCon 2019, and it was a game changer. You can also use it for board games, video game consoles, and game sticks, and more to make travel to the next convention or friend's house as simple as throwing on your backpack. Head over to theinnergamer.net slash crazy, that is C-R-A-Z-Z-I-E, to purchase gear for your next event. A portion of the proceeds go back to us to support The Inner Gamer. We'll see you at the next con. You're listening to The Inner Gamer. It's time for our video game news. In this segment, we share the best headlines from the week in the gaming industry. If you ever want to contribute to next week's episode, please send us a question or comment at hello at theinnergamer.net, and we'd gladly talk about it on next week's podcast. So first thing we're going to talk about is the fandom, DC fandom that went on this past weekend, in which they revealed two exciting games, one from WB Games Montreal and the other one from Rocksteady. We have Gotham Knights and suicide squad very very exciting so right, before you jump into what this is brett i gotta say yeah. right now i'm calling it gotham knights game of the year 2021 hands down already going for that's it a bold, that's a bold I'm, claim man i am so pumped for this game right now yeah. like this trailer i felt like showed you exactly what you're gonna get while some trailers kind of like you know sugarcoat a little bit and it's not always the same but i mean it's coming off of their last game so like I feel like we understand what this game is going to be like, and it's going to be co-op. What was the last game that WB Montreal put out? Origins, Arkham Origins. Oh, they put out Origins, really? Yeah, that was, that was their team. Right. That so Rocksteady is was... doing the other one, not this one. Right. Yeah, Rocksteady is doing Suicide Squad. Then I got confused. Yeah. <laughs> it still looks good. It still looks good. Well, I still so, will say Game of the Year. Well, so here's the thing. So what's interesting. <laughs> but, 
Both of these games are in the Arkham universe. So they're both tied to the Arkham universe. So when you're playing Suicide Squad, that's also in the same universe as the game right, that Gotham cool. Knights is doing, which I thought to be very, very surprising. But yeah, they did. Well, so they also worked on Batman Arkham City, even though that wasn't like their spearhead, but they were like a support studio for um, oh, okay. I cool. gotcha. for Rocksteady. But then, yeah, they spearheaded Arkham Origins. So that's the last game that they produced for this. So take it with a grain of salt how you feel about that <laughs> I've game. I've never seen a man have to buy insurance on a bet so fast in my <laughs> entire life. <laughs> it still looked amazing. It still looks good. No, because you get to no. play like all the Robins with Batgirl. Like, there's never been a time we could do that, and for them to actually, you know, do a full fledged version of all of these characters, I thought it was going to be Damian Wayne as Robin, but I guess it's just Tim Drake, which is a little yeah. sad. But still, like, all these people Amazing. have really awesome backgrounds, and you know, Dude, Red Hood yeah. as a playable character with guns. I'm if excited. we survive this year, it's going to be worth it. It's going to be yes. worth it. This is, this is our treat for surviving 2020. That oh, is man. true. That is true. Yeah, they they, uh, they showcased Gotham Knights trailer. Did you all watch the gameplay afterwards that they I had? Did. I did. Okay. I did. Yeah, so they had they had a gameplay trailer, too, that showed more of, like, literally gameplay, which was awesome to actually see some gameplay. Right. And there was... There is some things like some people are complaining about the fact that, you know, you shoot somebody and or you hit somebody or whatever. And you got a bunch of the numbers popping up everywhere. But other than that, I mean, I thought it looked fun. Like I like this whole I just so excited to work with my team and plan your attacks as you enter. That. I mean, because like Arkham Asylum and Arkham City and all that stuff, just the the traversal of finding different creative ways to attack groups of enemies was so much fun. And now that they have that same kind of mechanic, but in here with three other friends is super, super exciting. And the game just looks so good. Like the graphics are incredible. The, 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 the mechanics of the game look really solid traversal. I mean, they have that same mechanic where you just like look up and you have like little pinpoints where you can like, kind of like zip line yourself up to or whatever. That was really nice to just see how how simple it is to to navigate through the world, but I'm I'm really really looking forward to what this game can become and how they how they carry it through. I mean, it looks like it's gonna be like like a live service kind of effect because I saw as you're yeah. upgrading and taking people down, like there's you know you're getting resources and things as you're killing people. So True. I'm anxious to see what what where they're gonna take that because almost almost like comparing it to Marvel's Avengers that's coming out here in a couple weeks. Yeah, I was going to say, I was looking really forward to that, and I thought that was my game, but I think I'm looking more forward to this than Avengers at this point. I like Avengers. Yeah. Like it, it plays, well, you guys can go back and listen to what we thought, but yeah, it's it's fine. Like It's great. I'm excited for it, but this is way better. This is, this is something else. <laughs> and then that, so I don't know much about the Batman like universe. I don't, I'm not a comic book guy. I don't read comic books that much, but apparently that very end sequence, they were like, that was like a Court of Owls reference. Yes. villain thing or something that makes me like better talk to <laughs> me about that because i'm i'm a i'm a, a noob when it comes to that so all right well let me refresh my memory it's been a while but i i have all the <laughs> comics for it uh basically they're like this secret group kind of like illuminati for gotham and they're like been living in the shadows and so eventually Batman finds out about it, and I guess I'm going to spoil some of it, but it turns out that I, th- I believe he is actually one of these people, or they've been using him to like make clones or something like that. And uh, I think he almost he almost dies. He gets captured, and uh, 
I think he does a whole like Joker thing where he has to go a little crazy for a while, and he comes back out of it. Dang. So. Yeah. yeah, I figured Bruce Wayne wouldn't casually what? upload a vlog being like, "What's up, homies? I'm dying." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I but I bet you he's, he's not dead. I bet you anything's not. Yeah. Dead. And then he's like, if you're reading this, I'm dead. Oh, there's not a single person on the planet that was that was believing that. You know nobody watching the trailer was like, there's not going to be Batman in this game right. at all. Like, this is this is another one it, of those Marvel's Avengers deal where, like, Captain America's dead and then eventually yeah. he's going to, like, come back yeah, into the back. game somewhere. But if I got any of that wrong, please leave a comment on this video and or send us an email because I'm sure oh, some of that is wrong. fans. They yes. will write you a whole ass paragraph. <laughs> I was not the best person to explain that, but from what I can remember, <laughs> that's what we got. Okay, I, know, I, was, I was like, yeah. man, Austin's like the Court of Owls master here. He's he read through I'm that not, stuff. I remember I'm you not. were loving it's that. It's been a few years. Yeah, that's true. I but that was it. like I the it up. one of the most recent comics that I was like, this is good, like real good. Yeah. So, yeah, this one looks. I mean, I'm I'm very very impressed and excited to see this coming out for 2021 i mean it just it, the the style of this game is really nice like the the visual style that they've established is just got me ex- excited and that's one thing i like about dc that they never they struggle with because i mean dc movies particularly like they haven't been as big of blockbusters as all the you know marvel movies have been but i like the dark undertones that they've try to establish with all these much better than the more lightheartedness, I guess, of Marvel's, sure. you know, content. So yeah. I, I'm hoping that they lean into that a lot here. And it looks like, you know, they definitely at the very end, you know, with that, that bit there, it was just like all that, that dark kind of more adult feeling stuff is, is really interesting to me as a growing adult gamer. Fair. I think, I think that if we had to talk about DC versus Marvel for a second, Without actually diving into the comics themselves, yeah. Film-wise, Marvel's crushing it, absolutely right. demolishing them. It's it's no contest. I'm sorry, Batman v Superman fans, the two of you that are out there, like, stop, please. That's me. Every room, there's one. Yep. In every room, there's one. Uh, but. Uh, Calm down. Let's be real. Marvel one. At least you know it's a blank slate now. What with the 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 uh, I guess the saga concluding, if you will, right? It's it, with 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 uh, Endgame. It's a blank slate now. Everything's up for grabs. Who knows? Things could change. Uh, Robert that Robert Pattinson Batman movie looks pretty good. I'll give it a shot. But I think that where DC is is I think very clearly has the upper hand is probably in the animation department, right? DC animations completely destroy Marvel animations, and it's not even close, right? We just yeah. get back-to-back bangers pretty consistently from there. But where it is being a little bit more contested now, it feels like it's in the gaming space with DC definitely having that edge, right? They got the head start on them coming out strong, strong with the Arkham series, right? Oh, yeah. And Big now time. off of that groundwork, continuing to build up and flesh out, I think, that universe uh, thematically, um, and then combining that with unique properties like um, Injustice uh, makes it feel like DC might have a stronghold here. And I, I think that what determines how well um, DC's, I guess, dynasty in the gaming space continues is partially on these new games, but I think more so in Marvel's court in the sense that for them, if you look at 
what Marvel has had in the fighting game space, you have to compare, you know, Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite, which was a total dud compared to Injustice, right? Which did really well, right? Yeah. If you want to compare um, narrative-driven stories, uh, Spider-Man, massive success, right? Yeah. But does it live up to the hype of, say, an Arkham City? We don't know. Not enough time has passed, necessarily, right? Um, going into the future now, you have the Avengers game around the corner, um, you have Miles Morales, of course, dropping uh, in, in, I don't know what, like eight months or so. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's again, like, oh, it, it feels like this, this new decade of sorts, right? Just like in the film space, you know, DC has like a reset button of sorts where they could really prove themselves again. I think Marvel also has this opportunity, but right now it feels like from what's being pushed out, DC is saying, we're, we're not hanging up anytime soon. We got some bangers coming your way. Um, uh, but I, what I'm, I guess, most curious about is what other universes they're going to tap into, right? Because yeah. it's all right now really tied primarily towards Batman and Superman, right? Are we going to see anything that's more Flash-centric? Are we going to see anything Green Lantern-centric, Aquaman-centric, etc.? Or have those characters not proven themselves enough to, or have a stable enough rogues gallery to provide a good gaming experience? I don't yeah. know. Just thoughts to think about, I guess, around all that. Yeah. yeah, definitely. I I think the issue with the the film thing is that you know maybe the Snyder cut will, uh, <laughs> you know, make everyone rejoice in how awesome Zack Snyder might be. I don't know, but uh, I I think you know having I forget the names of the two guys for uh, Marvel who are like doing that the, the huge, Russo brothers, yeah, like coming through all of these and tying them together in a way, and yeah, I know there's different directors, but making. The Avengers movies like fantastic. Like you don't yeah. really have that with DC, and maybe Snyder actually Snyder had a a bunch of ideas to make like two movies and make some really awesome things. Well, obviously things didn't work out the way they were supposed to. So that's where DC is just kind of falling short on the on the film side. But here, you know, they're supposed to, and they want to focus on doing more Marvel ish stuff, family friendly to some degree. When I feel like the DC universe is much darker and can be Pretty. super dark. And at least in the video games, you can kind of portray that more uh, without worrying about like, oh, we can't market this or whatever. It's not meeting the demographic we want to really reach out to or whatever, you know. And it's just it, I'm, I'm glad that hopefully here they can really own or at least, at least come into their own and fulfill our all, all our dreams for this universe. Wait, yeah. so as a comic book fan, is there one DC hero that you think would have an amazing game? that you're just kind of waiting for that hasn't really happened yet? That's a good question. Haven't thought of that, actually. Maybe, like, Deathstroke would be cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like an assassin game? And it just... Yeah, you're a bad guy, but, hell, you're killing other bad guys, probably. Or you have to go up against Batman? I don't know. (laughs) Kill kill Robin? I don't know the full story of it. Is there a Deathstroke mod for Sekiro? I think that'll hold me over for the time (laughs) being. (laughs) That'd be awesome. (laughs) I could see that. Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of bad guys, uh, let's talk about Suicide Squad, which was revealed for uh, Rocksteady <laughs> hey. in development coming out in 2022. So we got a little bit of time before that one comes out, but they revealed a very cool, unsure if it's a in-engine trailer. It feels to me that it's probably in-engine, um, obviously not gameplay necessarily, but it showcased the four characters that they uh, revealed in here, which are... You know, we got Harley Quinn, we have the uh, Deadshot, Captain Boomerang, and King Shark. And it is very, there's a lot of 
personality to this trailer i felt that came through that i didn't expect necessarily because whereas like the arkham series that we've seen up to this point has been very dark very like just dark i guess is kind of the, the best way to <laughs> kind of describe it but this is like I, I heard a lot of people reference this but like a sunset overdrive kind of feel um mm, if you remember that game so it had kind of that that more colorful more kind of um there's a little bit of that humor thrown into which i mean you know with harley quinn you can't can't really you know avoid that but what did you guys think of the uh the trailer reveal for suicide squad i didn't know there actually was uh awesome i didn't know there actually was a trailer but now I'm wait you didn't it. know there was a trailer i did not that's what we were texting about yesterday, man. Bro, this is your podcast. What I do you know. mean you didn't know that? Well, we talked about the Knights trailer, but I guess that's where I got off the thread. Oh, my gosh. Okay. This is falling apart. Okay, well, Justin, I'm glad you did your homework. So uh, tell me what you thought about the Suicide Squad trailer. I thought they just announced details about it. No, so so I will say, I think my favorite comment on the on the YouTube video was, wow, they unveiled a new character that Rocksteady has never done before, Sunlight. Uh, <laughs> that was so funny. That's a very good point. No, I think, I, I, I thought the trailer looked really fun, um, honestly. Um, we d- didn't get any gameplay or anything like that, but the cinematic itself was beautiful. Um, it was really goofy, and I felt like the characters, even though we don't really know too much about them, especially myself as somebody who really doesn't know comic books all that well, um, I felt like I was intrigued. Like I was in whenever the the banter happened, right? Like kind of yeah. wanted to learn a little bit more about each of their individual backstories. I wanted to learn a little bit more about their dynamics. And that's the whole point of the trailer, right? It's all just to show these weird group of misfits, like somehow putting aside their differences and, and <clears throat> begrudgingly working together to get something done. Um, and I think on that front... Uh, the the trailer did a really good job of just showcasing that sort of thematic element that I think the end game should have overall. Yeah. So uh, whether the the finished product is going to be super polished or if it's just going to look more pretty uh, than it will actually offer gameplay wise remain, remains to be seen. Unlike the Gotham Knights trailer, they actually didn't have uh, a gameplay section uh, that we could watch at the end. Um, so I, I'm still trying to figure out how things are going to work. Um, I know we talked a little bit about this before we started recording, but maybe if it's going to function less like an Arkham City and more like a Borderlands meets Batman sort of thing, it, it could work. Yeah. But, you know, who knows? Yeah, it was it was it was very interesting. I mean, they just, you know, covering a couple of the highlights of what they showcased, not just in the trailer, but just through the whole reveal of this. They mentioned that they, they showed at the very end Superman. He popped up. He looks evil. He's got red eyes. I mean, he like literally killed somebody like right there in front of you. I was like, that's crazy. And I don't know what that, and I don't, I'm not familiar with the suicide. I never watched suicide squad movie because I heard how not great it was. So So I, yeah. So like I avoided that. So I don't know anything about suicide squad or what their involvement is, but that's what kind of has me excited to jump into this game from a fresh perspective, not knowing who these characters are that much. I mean, obviously I know Harley Quinn, I know Superman, but like, King Shark and like all these other, you know, characters that are in here. I don't know who anything about them. So um, I'm excited having just been introduced to them here, what that will look like as I get further into the game and just, you know, see them for the first time and see how Rock City 
brings them out. And so far, I, I mean, like you said, I love the banter between all the different characters. I thought that was really awesome. And they, they did confirm that this is one to four player co-op. So if you're playing single player, you'll be able to think of um, Grand Theft Auto V, where you could switch to car- any character in the game whenever you wanted to. So oh, you're like, I'm awesome. done with this character. You can jump over here. That's going to be the, that's what they kind of set this up as, is you can be like, I'm done playing Harley Quinn. I'm going to jump over this character. And they're all like, you just transition to them in the action as it's unfolding. And I think that part is going to be just super sick because you can like just use them together with those different combos and maneuvers and be like, okay, I'm going to send Harley Quinn over here, hit some people with some bats. I'm like, Oh, King Shark's in a badass (laughs) battle. Let me jump over to him real quick and, you know, kill some people. So, um, that stuff is, is really interesting. And then, well, obviously, when you're playing with your friends, then you can have the full set of characters in use and and run through that. So that'll be pretty pretty exciting. Yeah, that's a much better system than what I had in my head because while you were making the right choice, thinking Grand Theft Auto in regards to character switching, yeah, I was thinking Donkey Kong '64, like a <laughs> barrel mechanic where you have to jump in as a character to switch <laughs> over to somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah that would Probably be a little less fluid <laughs> yeah a little bit a little bit <laughs> well, i gotta say like suicide squad is not my biggest thing uh i just watched the trailer um it looks cool i mean i i think the general idea of what they're showing is interesting best part about it was superman because i know he's evil in some of the comics so i'm curious to see how that turns out but i wouldn't say it's a game i'm like i'm not as excited for it as i was for uh uh the gotham knights so yeah, it's That's like fair, man. That's totally coup? Fair. Coup? I mean, that, that was the <laughs> same same thought I had when I first saw it, too, is that I I was a little underwhelmed by what I saw just because, you know, like and that part of it is because I have such high expectations for Rocksteady. Like yes. I see them, whatever they bring out, it's going to blow it out of the water. And then this was like it looks great, but having I already had this vision in my head of what I expected the next scene to be. And this isn't at all what I expected. But the more I think about it, the more I'm I'm kind of warming up to this idea, and I just I can't right. wait to see gameplay. But I I'm excited to see them kind of take. I mean, they took Batman, put him in a game, and made me love every bit of playing as Batman. Not just because it's Batman, but because the game was just fucking awesome. Like throughout the whole okay. entire thing of like Got the it. combat, all that stuff was just solid through and through. So I'm sure they're going to be able to take these characters and not only make these characters super exciting, but I excited to see what they do with four different characters now that you can play as and how mm-hmm. they how they interact with each other and and play through the world and you got they talked a lot about gunplay and then melee combat that they've been working really hard on with the different types of characters and the fact that this is a continuation of the arkham verse so they're building this whole world so gotham knights awesome. this game all the arkham games they all tie into the same universe so you'll be able to see a lot of like storyline threads that like bring it all and unify it together from from game to game which makes me want to go back and replay the old Arkham games, which how am I going to do that? I don't know, but we'll see. We'll see. Probably sitting in your Steam library right now, oh, collecting yeah. dust with all the other <laughs> unopened games that you've yeah. bought over the years. You know it. You know it. Um, anyway, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on to our next story. So we got a couple more to talk about here, but Ghost of Tsushima is a game that we've been playing a lot and are very excited about. And they just dropped a bombshell last week and announced, hey, you know, you got this game you've been playing through single player. Some of you have beat it. Some of you may not have, whatever. But we're going to throw in a free co-op mode and also like a raid that's going to be called 
uh, Ghost of Tsushima Legends, which is going to include four characters that are different and playable. They're not Jin, but they're awesome. four different characters. And you can play through these characters and dive deeper into the the more mythicalness of the Japanese history and mytho- like uh, not mythology, but more of the uh, the the mythical nature of Japanese history. Whereas this other myth, it is mythology actually. Japanese mythology, whereas the actual game itself was more grounded and historically focused on just realism, um, and then just the idea of the samurai and all that stuff. This is going to dive into some of the the stories and the the legends and the tales that people tell. So, if you played the mythic tales of Ghost of Tsushima, akin to that a little bit, but diving even deeper into that kind of lore that exists from Japanese folklore and stuff like that. So. I'm super hyped, and it's coming out fall, which yeah. is insane. That's not far from now. And maybe maybe for the PS5 it'll be out. Who knows? For the PS5? Oh, yeah, it'll definitely be out for PS5. <laughs> so, I mean, I would say, I mean, what is fall? Like, when does fall end? Is it like, like September-ish, I think? When does this year end, man? Come <laughs> <Dude>. on. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we made it to the end of August. We're one month closer. Damn, I can't believe it's already in August. That's crazy. Yeah, I know. Oh, my gosh. But... But yeah, if you, if y'all haven't watched this trailer yet, it looks it looks really really cool. There's gonna be some two player missions you can play, where just like you and your friend, and they have it's a totally separate story missions, which is awesome. And then there's up to four, which some of them the the four player missions will be kind of like wave based situations where they'll come at you at um in different waves of increasing difficulty. And then there's this raid that they haven't told us anything about, but somehow there'll be a four player raid in the game that will require quotes you and your partners to enter an entirely new realm to challenge a brutal terrifying enemy hell yeah yeah i'm excited I count mean, me in it looks so dark and gritty and i love it already <laughs> yeah all that red those red undertones yeah <laughs> so cool yeah death and destruction yeah um, i'm excited <laughs> cool and what's what's also interesting about this, this is the first time that Sucker Punch has entered into the multiplayer realm. Um uh, like true. completely. Like they I think they did something with what was it no Sly Cooper, I think was a game that they did, but it had like a local multiplayer, <laughs> I believe. But Me. nothing that was like one hundred percent like online multiplayer. So I'll be curious to see how they how they handle that with uh this game, especially for like a free add on that they're just throwing in there just because. So pretty excited. So Marvel's good. Avengers, everybody. This game is coming out on the 4th of September, not too far away. Uh, we've Ooh. been playing through the beta quite a bit. Justin, have you played the beta at all? I haven't touched it. I haven't looked at it. I haven't sneezed at it. I haven't thought about it. Is it good? Is it actually good? It it's is great. good. Yeah, it's it's Don't really good. Don't put a caveat good. on there, Brett. I hear your voice. Well, so I am putting <laughs> a ca- I'm still putting a caveat a little bit because I'm still a little worried about the the mission structure. But beyond that, the characters feel great. Like the different characters, they're awesome. They're fun to play. It can be button magic, but there's so much more depth to it than I thought there would be. Like every character has a different skill tree that they only showed us like a piece of the skill tree in the beta, but apparently there's like three pages of skill trees per character. And you can really develop them out to be, (laughs) have all these different powers and abilities. And like from. Yeah, I know, right? We like powers and abilities in this house, so yeah, there you go. I'm down. I'm fine it's, with that. It's good. I mean, I've but is I was it good? Really good. Fun. It's is good, it good. Good. If you want to feel like an Avenger, it's great. Maybe I'm just so used to Destiny now, everything being so much the same. Like I can just rain down Hellfire with Tony Stark, and I feel great the whole time. 
That's good. Yeah, that's good. I can get behind that. Yeah, recreate that. Uh, that uh, that lock on scene from Iron Man one. I still think about that scene sometimes. You know, when he goes into the village with the new suit for the first time with the hostages, and he locks on like the enemies oh, perfectly. Yeah, and, yeah. Oh, oh, so cold. Yeah, they don't have that ability in here yet, do they? they? Might. They probably all realize. these pages and not yeah. a single lock. Well, on? so they ha- we only see one page though in the beta. They haven't yeah. given oh, us okay. the other two pages, so there could be a lot more because you Iron Man has like three types of projectiles that he can shoot. It's like lasers, rockets, and then the uh, whatever the cannon thing or whatever. Yeah. yeah, and you have different upgrade <laughs> trees for that. You can just swap between it with just the the directional pad, which is really mm-hmm. awesome. And it's. It definitely feels really good. The only complaint that I had about it was that when you go inside the aim bases, the advanced idea mechanics or whatever they're called, whenever you go inside those bases, they feel kind of samey after a while, like just like different recreations of the same look. Like they don't have a lot of different textures and stuff like that. And then some of the open world, it's not really open world game, but you like drop into an area that's open area spaces that you can travel and navigate and find objective types that are outside of your main objective like maybe it's kill this bad guy and then get a loot chest and then or it's you know rescue this person and get a loot chest that stuff is interesting but it's not as broad and vast as say like a typical destiny experience would be but again oh, so the yeah. beta so there, there's more of that that can come into play but i had a good time with it. i just like the idea of it was like destiny has gotten to the point where it feels like work and it's such a hardcore grind. I love the world and the environments that they build in that game, but they just it just sucks having to sit there and just slog away trying to get one more power added to my character. Doing and those dailies, man. That's dude, right. Doing those dailies. They're Dane. brutal. <laughs> and this this could have those that problem once we get into it, but so far I haven't seen that being an issue yet. Like the gear felt like it had a pretty good consistent upgrade system. Um, there's basically battle passes for every character, which is odd, but interesting. I mean, there's a lot more stuff to unlock and, and open up, but, um, in the news story here, they announced 15, there's 15 characters that have been data mined from the latest patch that hmm. they've, uh, revealed. So there's characters such as, uh, Ant-Man, the Wasp, Vision, Black Panther, Doctor Strange, Falcon, Marvel, Marvel, is it Marvel or Marvel? Anybody know this character? Yeah, looking at? Oh yeah. Marvel. <laughs> Yeah. Mockingbird, Quake, Winter Soldier, Scarlet Witch, Captain Marvel, Kate Bishop, She-Hulk, and War Machine, which is a lot of people. And if they can, like, really deliver on all these different types of characters, like, I would love to play Doctor Strange. I think that'd be super cool. Yeah. I don't know what that would look like. Black Panther, Winter Soldier, War Machine. Look, they're they're setting up for PvP, y'all. I'm I'm calling it now. Like, you can't have all these characters and then not throw in a PvP for Civil War. Like, that'd be awesome. That would be cool. pretty sick. I would love that. So it's it's just it's looking to be pretty exciting. But I hope I hope I'm not scared when the game comes out and there's just like something in there they haven't told <laughs> yeah. us about. And then uh, it launches and we're like, son of a bitch, they did. Yeah, microtransactions. Did that. It's gonna <laughs> oh, be yeah, in there. It's definitely gonna be that. Like when they announced the uh, whole Verizon thing, where like if you're a Verizon member or whatever, uh, you get exclusive skins and all yeah. these like exclusive Communist things skins. That they're doing. No, I'm kidding. Communist skins, yes. <laughs> it's got the red star on it. I'm just like, yeah, communist. Oh my goodness! But exclusive uh, skins yeah. is the most anti-communist thing I can think of, right? <laughs> a free mm-hmm. skin for everybody. That's probably more along the <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but yeah, September fourth, 
coming soon. Really excited. Lots of characters announced. So um, it's going to be an interesting year next year because if once the you know Gotham Knights comes out and if this game's still going strong, like it's a freaking Marvel DC battle in the games world, y'all. It's going to be it's going to be nuts. It's going to be real nuts. Um. So I'm going to talk on this story real quick. It's not much to say, but it's got me really excited. Those of y'all that know me know that I'm like a hardcore Battlefield fan. Like I've been playing Battlefield since like day one, Battlefield 1942. <laughs> I sunk in like hundreds and hundreds of hours in that game. And ever since, like I played every single one, I've sunk hundreds of hours into all of them, except for the latest one, because I just can't sink hundreds of hours into games anymore. But normally, if I could, I would. <laughs> and there's rumors that the next Battlefield 6 could double it up and take us from a 32 versus 32 game to a 64 versus 64 with 128 players Jesus. in one game, which is nuts. So imagine like a battlefield in a massive map with tanks and planes and all that stuff with that. I mean, obviously we got Warzone with 150 players, but it's not one team versus another team. It's just everybody in like little squads and stuff. But this is like all that warfare with two teams going at it. I'm pretty Count excited about that. Count me in. And it's going to be modern warfare. Yeah. Boots on the be. ground. Yeah. Boots on the ground. Modern yeah, warfare. Boots on the ground. Fighter jets in the sky. That's right. It's going to be magical. Magical helicopters. You, yeah. want me to, you want me to have a dirty gamer confession? Yeah, sure. I've never played a Battlefield game in my entire life. What? <clears throat> never. Man. Never, bro. Dude, it's really interesting at Battlefield because it has such a... I feel like it attracts a different type of gamer. And it's like if you've... What kind of gamer is that? I don't know. Like I haven't quite placed it, but there's a lot of people I know. Like you're not the only person that I know that hasn't ever touched Battlefield. And there's like a significant chunk of gamers that haven't ever touched it. And for me, like it's one of my favorite games of all time, but it doesn't appeal to everybody. I don't really know why, but like, like for example, Justin, like, what has enticed you to not play the game or has just never been something you want to jump into because you don't have friends playing it or whatever? I don't know, man. I just never... <laughs> I, I genuinely don't know when you yeah. think about it. It's, it's not like there's a... Re- it's not like I've been like, I hate Battlefield it's people like who play Battlefield it, yeah. games. I just, right. I just, you know, for, for whatever reason, it's just one of those things where, oh, people say it's good. Maybe I'll get around to it eventually. And then I never get around to it. And yeah. now it's eventually. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. It's like, uh, I don't know. For me, you know what I mean? The, the effect that Battlefield has is like that one friend that's just like, oh, my God, you got to watch this TV show. It's so good. You're like, yeah, man, I'll do that. And you never do that because you're a bad person. Man, that's true. That's me with Battlefield. <laughs> that's me with Battlefield. I what? need more homies that are just like, bro, you're stupid right now for not playing Battlefield. But... I've had exactly zero homies come up and tell me, bro, you're stupid right now for not playing Battlefield, so I'm just going to continue not playing Battlefield. Hey, Justin, you're stupid right now for not playing Battlefield. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. I knew it was happening. I set myself up for that. I can't can't say that I would play it at this point. If you know, The only reason I got into it is because Brett had it. Yeah, I'm I'm the catalyst. Yeah, he was like, you got to play this. I was like, okay, first person shooter, wartime. Sounds great. Is it... It's I know it's Dice that does Battlefield, right? Yeah, and they also do Battlefront, right? Yes. Does this mean that this game's gonna suck at the beginning, but then eventually it'll be good? <laughs> Hopefully, they reverse it. <laughs> no, it's it's it it's always good at the beginning, but then it becomes trash. So I guess kind of <laughs> no, yeah. Like, can it just be good all the way? <laughs> it doesn't so, work like that with Dice. 
It's anymore. funny. Back in the old days of Dice, it would come out and it it was janky. Like there was some. Like I remember Battlefield Two. Like that game came out and jumping. Like they hadn't invented vaulting over things yet. Like that wasn't a thing in games. And when you try to jump over something your character would like jump and kind of like jiggle and then fall down and then jiggle and then fall down, but never actually make it over the ledge you were trying to jump over. So that was a consistent problem up until like patch like five. And then finally they were like, okay, now we're going to fix jumping finally. And now we got vaulting and all that stuff, which is great, but they, they definitely have gotten worse over the years. It seems like once we hit, I want to say the, the last, well, I guess about battlefield battlefront one, was when things like went haywire. So they brought that game out. And that was just not deep enough of a game for anybody to be super excited on it. And they eventually fixed it. But I think it's all the executives at EA that are like, oh, no, we got to do this because it's really hot right now. And then they do that and they forget to focus on the other good parts of the game. And then it just falls apart. Like with Battlefield Front 2, them trying to like lean in so heavily in the microtransactions and then they made it pay to win and the internet like ravaged them. And then eventually the game turned out being really, really good. But then at that point, everybody dropped off and didn't want to play it anymore. So it was unfortunate. Yeah. That's a weird part. So that's what's concerning to me is that if you, if you're telling me that they're, they had a good track record at the beginning, but as time went on, they got more buggy. The fact that they're doubling the amount of players in a lobby (laughs) is very concerning to me. I'm going to see 128 people jiggling all around the screen. There's going to be some dude getting hurled into the stratosphere for no reason. They're going to have an unintentional eject button on this jet that you can apparently fly into nowhere. I don't know. Hey, I don't know, man. I'm scared. Thanks for some scared. Thanks for some great YouTube content, though. That's for sure. (laughs) True. Oh, yeah, no, it, it's a. Uh, I'm hopeful that'll be good. Like Battlefield Five, I think when it launched was great. There was just a people didn't like it as much. I think because there was an expectation of. I mean, we had this expect like we were talking earlier about Rogue Company. There's this now mm-hmm. expectation of having so much in a game that you can progress through and unlock and achieve and all that stuff. And this was a bit of a lighter experience because they intended it to be kind of a live service but you didn't pay for any of it so throughout the course of the game they went from like eight maps i think at launch to now they have like 35 30 to 35 maps all for free no extra paid content any of that stuff they just added all these maps different like theaters of war all that stuff so they did a lot of stuff to make it better over time but it just they have a problem of just not figuring that out at launch to keep people invested in it and then they lose out on a lot of people and then by the time it is good there's just not enough like people have just given up because they're like well i don't want to get back into it and waste my time because it wasn't great at the beginning so yeah it's kind of unfortunate what needs to change for that to change is that we as gamers have to change our habits right like even though think about how crazy this is even though ea right with what they did with battlefront 2 and how they handled that game was so bad that they still hold the record for the most downvoted comment in Reddit history. <laughs> With what is it like, like, like 62,000 downvotes or something like that? That's crazy to think about. Even still, I don't see them changing their ways when it comes to releasing a new product or at least rushing the timeline a bit because gamers are gerbils. <laughs> who will buy and pre-order anything 
despite a track record. Yeah, right? yeah, it's true. And I hate it's to true. say it. I hate to say it, but I think that you know, especially given like where we live, if you really believe that these are great studios who maybe are under pressure of uh, sales execs and execs in general who are like, it has to be out by this timeline right now. Period regardless of whether it's ready or not, then you have to vote with your wallet yeah. consistently. And if you're, you you can't do that, well, don't be sad whenever you consistently come out with a bad product and you're like, I can't believe this would happen again. <laughs> <laughs> again. That's again. true. Crazy. Crazy, you know. Yeah. All right, last the story. same thing. <laughs> yeah. It's the uh it's the uh it's the it's it's the DC film effect. I'm not done making fun of you, buddy. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I'm not done with it. I'm not done with it. I'm not done yet. That's good. Not I love you. <laughs> oh yeah. Batman vs Superman. It's okay. All that matters is Greg ben- Miller agrees with me. So uh, there, you, there go. you go, man. We have something yeah. in common. Yeah, That's yeah way better than supporter. me. Um <laughs> So uh, last story we have is uh, this thing that I just want to talk about with Fall Guys and how they the developers of Fall Guys apparently gave a a skin, a costume to what they called the Fallen One, which was a person who was statistically the best player in the game. And they were doing this whole Twitter thing for a good several days, I feel like, trying to track this person down and saying like, hey, look in your inventory, you have this thing. And finally, eventually, they found out it was uh, Twitch streamer Dr. Lupo, which I don't follow Dr. Lupo, but that was who it was that, that had it. But just watching the whole trend of the social media person that manages their social media is probably my favorite person in the world. Like the way in <laughs> which he like responds to things and the things that he says, like he, he's he or she, I don't even know the, the gender of this person, like he or she, but whoever is doing it is like killing it with the, the social media. Cause they're just hilarious in the yeah. comments that they have and just like making fun of like, what was Tim the tap man or whatever <laughs> yeah, for days. That was, that was the best comment I think I saw out of this whole thing because before the Fallen One arc in in the in the Fall Guys anime, it was the Tim the Tatman getting his first crown arc, right? Yeah. And I remember this comment that was like wild to think that the statistically best player in the world is friends with the statistically worst player in the world. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> yeah. No. Oh my gosh. Oh, yeah. I the guy who runs um. The the socials is uh, is a is a guy named Oliver. Um, it's like one dude um, who really handles all things social over there for Mediatonic and for Fall Guys. And yeah, he's just been absolutely killing it. Uh, he actually released recently on his personal Twitter um, because so many people were hammering him constantly with, "Hey, how how did you grow this to grow your Twitter account to be so big so quickly? How did you make this Discord community so pop and consistently?" He literally just did a big info dump on his Twitter talking about like how he planned everything and whatnot, like what the goals were before the game was anything. Um, It's a really, really good read um, for folks who are dumb marketing people like myself who enjoy that kind of stuff. Um, Hey man, don't tell yourself short. You're not dumb. You're a genius. (laughs) Genius. Um, You should have been like, don't sell yourself short. You're not a marketer. (laughs) (laughs) That would have been actually much better. Yeah. Oh man! Oh gosh! Yeah. <laughs> no, it's a. Uh, I just looked at Fall Guys. They have 1.2 million followers on yeah. Twitter. That's crazy. I um uh, I, 
I was following them when they were at 80K followers. Okay? Oh, nice, nice. <laughs> you know. First so, one here, right? So I first, first heard about here, this guys. game at the uh, the Devolver Digital Expo. So it was like fresh right. to me up until that happened. So how long have you been keep following them? Oh, I literally found out about them right before launch. So we have a product okay. called DreamHack Tonight. And they talk, they have like uh, uh, an indie spotlight um, called Indie Heartbeat. And Fall Guys was one of the games that they featured on there. And I was like, this looks like a cool game. And I told yeah. my Discord and we all pre-ordered it. And the next thing we know, like... It's just stupid huge. Yeah. Ludicrously huge. Like in 24 hours, that game sold 2 million copies on Steam. That's insane. That's nuts. I think Ghost of Tsushima, for reference sake, sold like 1.5 million yeah. copies uh, within the first week. I wonder how much of that nuts. had to do with their, the fact that, because I, I, you know, I compare this to Rocket League when they came out free on PlayStation plus and then mm-hmm. this game, you know, also came out free on PlayStation plus, which is where I picked it up. And that's what I've been playing it on is PlayStation. Cause it was free. But then I quickly fell into the, the whole microtransaction trap and paid $10 to buy a skin pack. Cause I was like, I like this hey. game and I want to look cooler. So I picked it up and so they got, they got money from me, but I'm, I'm curious to know how much of their success was also relying on the fact that they did do this. Like when they launched, it dropped free on PlayStation Plus because that was a huge boost for Rocket League when it first. Yeah. Well, it wasn't when it first came out because prior to that <clears> they were super rocket powered hypersonic battle or whatever the heck it was called. Yeah. But uh, that that really helped boost them up. So I wonder how much of that contributed to this, or if it was just the fact that you know badass social media guy and just their their whole the fact Devolver Digital backing them, which Devolver's like just really creative with their yeah, their sure. marketing and stuff. So. Do you want me to get really nerdy about it for a second? I can get marketing nerdy about it Let's for a it. second. Get marketing right. nerdy. I think the best marketing people are not marketing people, right? Mm-hmm. It sounds weird, but I think the best marketing people honestly have first and foremost a deep understanding of the product itself. Yeah. That's the most important thing that I see whenever I think of people who are really good at marketing is that they know the product super well and they know the customer super well, right? It used to be that you have product people who know the product really well. You have marketing people that know customers really well. And then there's like this middle area, this no man's land where nobody really touches. But especially when you look at a company like Mediatonic, because they're smaller, my thought process is that you have a marketing person who now is very intimately involved with conversations with the actual developers who are creating the game, right? So they have the insights in regards to... uh, I guess the meta behind the game, they know what the players are going through because they're tightly wound to the community, et cetera. And they're able to push out a cohesive strategy that packages all that together very nicely as a result of that, right? That's the big takeaway for me anyways in regards to what Mediatonic did really well with Fall Guys. Um, The other thing really comes down to the product specifically. Like, um, you know, I got to give credit, of course, to Oliver for handling social, but let's not forget the fact that the game itself is just so good yeah and it sells itself to a degree right it's something where like you look at that and as somebody who's maybe a little older reminds me of mini games in mario party that i would play whenever i was a kid right um and i love the idea that i can just boot this game up and tap into that feeling with all of my friends who are you know i unfortunately can't see right now because of the state of the world right yeah. And I think that that sort of timing, 
Um, and, and that sort of uniqueness that the game had where it true, it's a battle royale, but it's way different than any battle royale that's ever come out, made it so that it was an absolute dynamite launch absolute goldmine launch yeah. for them for sure um and i think that it, again it's it's great marketing it's great product all put together to make it so that it's such a banger launch here yeah and I, after this came out i was telling brett i was like how long before uh this is the new standard <laughs> i was like you imagine uh modern warfare do something like this <laughs> oh god oh god. that would be that'd be weird that'd be, that'd be very be interesting saying yeah, mod no. guys, <laughs> cod guys, cod guys. Oh uh, no, <laughs> no, yeah. I do not want little jelly beans shooting yeah. each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it'll be well, a crossover. I, mean, I, I see it like uh, that gears pop, like you know, where they try to like make that a lot more of a, I guess, a kid friendly <laughs> version of the gears game. Like they get totally do oh, no. this, but Just I mean, I think die. that's that's. I think the like the character design even with this like this little silly it reminds me of a minion you know from Despicable Me like this oh, these little, little bit, yeah. like jelly bean characters or whatever like just mm. the the cutesy nature of them like I've seen so many like artists uh, or gamers that like are really good artists like drawing their own iterations of what their yeah. fall they had character a contest like. so yeah. they had a contest early on um, where they're like hey uh, we're doing a a contest and you know if you make the best one we will literally put your creation in the game yeah. And yeah, it inspired a lot of people to jump in. And then when the game bought popular, people didn't even care about the contest. They're just drawing for the sake of drawing. Yeah, it's cool. Just the community that's gotten around this game has gotten to that tipping point where as a social media person and a community manager, you don't have to necessarily ask for content. Your community is self-sufficient enough to the point where they are creating content themselves and now you're playing less of somebody who's trying to procure content and more of somebody who's trying to sift through and figure out like what's the what's really like the gold amongst this yeah and when necessary i suppose like cutting off like maybe more distasteful content right that's kind of the gist of it i think yeah so yeah it's super cool i mean i'm I'm excited to see where the game goes i've heard the developers saying that they're they're in this for the long term like they want to keep building this game up and make it bigger and better than before it's not like a short one year kind of experience like they want this game to last so i'm, I'm looking forward to see what they do to yeah. keep growing and developing it into more so I'd, I'd like some uh cool partnerships i think that the fact that they're doing so well on twitch maybe opens a couple of doors for them so mm-hmm. it would be cool to have like a dc partnership right yeah have some uh have like some fall guys batman skins and things like that that'd oh, be really sweet. cute to <laughs> yeah. have in the shop oh, yeah. right or Disney. Be awesome. It'd be yeah. awesome to have like, you know, like classic Disney characters just, you know, remixed a little bit for the for, for the Fall Guys way. You know, I'd, I'd buy some Mickey Pants Bottoms, you know, oh, the Steamboat Willies. Cute. Yeah. Cute. Yeah. I like it. Awesome. And they've already done some partnerships you saw, right? Like um, they had Portal this week. They had um, the week before that Team Fortress 2 That's cool. uh, for a legendary skin. Um, I, I saw that uh, they they were trying to get in touch with Cyberpunk, and they said, "Hey, Cyberpunk, how many retweets for for us to be allowed to make a, a skin in game?" And oh, they said, "Sweet one," and they retweeted <laughs> it themselves, dude. Yeah, uh, I, I I think there's going to be a lot of really cool stuff that's going to happen, um, especially because this game is just caught on like wildfire. Yeah. Um, though I will say. The big thing for this game now is to make sure that they find out a way to keep it really fresh. Um, 
And I think that's going to be very tricky because keep in mind, again, it's an indie game. Yeah. It is a team of 26 people total, if I remember correctly, who are working on this right now. And they got to figure out a way to make sure that if they are hiring new people to keep up with the demand, that they are of the highest quality, that they also understand intimately well that the vision that these current 26 people have yeah. um, before bringing them on to make sure that as they're creating products at scale, that quality never decreases. Because once it does, that's when the player base goes bye-bye. Yeah, totally. Awesome. Well, that's going to wrap it up for our news segment for right now. If you guys haven't subscribed to us yet on YouTube, you can check us out at youtube.com slash innergamer and you can get those videos as they launch by hitting that subscribe button and that bell to get the notifications, all that good stuff. Stay tuned. We'll be right back for our discussion topic. You're listening to The Inner Gamer. Hello, everybody. Each week, we dive into a hot topic about video games. And this week, we're going to be talking about the future of gaming conventions with our buddy here, Justin from DreamHack. Justin, welcome back again. You're still here with us. How awesome is that? I, I'm still here somehow. I know. <laughs> it you, feels feels good. feels you, good to somehow still be here, uh, yeah. especially as somebody who works in the event space. Being here is a, a very tricky prospect for a, a lot of my peers. Yeah. yeah. So I want to I want to have open this up with the opportunity for you to dive deeper into what you do for those that may not have heard the first podcast. Obviously, we did a brief, brief introduction of you at the very beginning. But uh, tell me fully what it is you do. Yeah, sure. <clears throat> um, so I, I'm Justin Varghese. I'm the North American marketing manager for DreamHack. Um, and for those of you who may be unfamiliar with DreamHack, it's the world's premier gaming lifestyle festival started off as a uh, a small land between a group of friends uh, who met up in a cafeteria for a weekend of gaming, hacking, and coding, and since then has grown uh, significantly to the point where we, we've held the Guinness Book of World Records for the largest land in history. Um, and whenever it's not a global pandemic, we typically tend to do about 14 events uh, worldwide with an estimated global attendance upwards of 350,000 people. So uh, it's a big deal. Big deal. Yeah. Uh, right now, as you can imagine, we're we're not really doing a lot of that <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to the live event portion. But uh, very fortunately, we have uh, a really strong production base for the company itself. Um, and as a result of that, we've been able to do a lot of really high profile online events. Um, our, our, the Fortnite event that we've been doing has a $250,000 prize pool. Uh, the first week it was out, I think we had something ludicrous, like 450,000 competitors participating in that. Oh, my uh, God. Yeah, it's it's nuts. It gets pretty crazy. It gets pretty crazy. Uh, but yeah, we, we're right now we're just uh, trying to, you know, very eagerly prepare uh, for, so that whenever events do come back, we can come back, you know, better than ever before. Yeah, yeah. So I want to start by flashbacking to, you know, the, the early days of the COVID when it hit the <laughs> United States and first reactions. I mean, we're looking like March-ish time. What what were y'all's first, you know, reactions to this, thoughts? Like what what was the, uh, what you can talk about, you know, the internal thought processes going through your head of like preparing for this, knowing you had all these events coming up? Like what did those inner, inner discussions yeah. look like? Well, the first thing was, Thank God Anaheim was in February. Yeah. Because <laughs> we had DreamHack Anaheim. It was a first year event. Um, and we, I, I think we did that well, like the weekend of 
February 21st, something like that. So just before things got real crazy, yeah. real crazy. Yeah, everyone and was it, talking about like even all the other events going on. They're like, uh, this just happened. Yeah. <laughs> like it's no, going down right now as these events it, are happening. It's weird to think that for a lot of people, the last gaming event they went to was DreamHack Anaheim, right? Yeah. It's either DreamHack or PAX for a lot of folks. Um, and so for us, back whenever it was March, you know, we had a team that was put together to monitor the situation, figure out what the next moves were. Um, as things really escalated, in particular in the United States, we realized that the event that we had planned to do um, with Akon uh, in uh, in May was really not going to happen. Um, and so we ended up pushing back our event to August, hopeful that things would clear up um, in Dallas so that we could be able to do the event there. Spoiler alert, it did not. So <laughs> we ended up <laughs> yeah, having we're, to we're holding postpone out, it. But yeah. yeah. Yeah, we had to postpone it all the way to uh, to, to next year now uh, with Akon to, you know, really doing the same as well. And we're now doing separate events as a result of that. Um, and, and very recently, we've had to make the unfortunate cancellation and postponement of all of our remaining events for this calendar year. Yeah. So, yeah, it's been it's been tough. It's been really tough. Um, you know, for, for us, like a lot of DreamHack is really about, you know, connecting with people old and new. And that's the, the best part of it for a lot of our attendees is, uh, that moment where you look at somebody's badge and you see the the name and you recognize the tag and you're like, ah, I know you. We haven't met before in person, but we've been playing games together for so long. You know, like that moment is everything. And the fact that we can't facilitate that this year, uh, I think is probably what hurts the most, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but we're just taking it a day at a time and just trying to take the time that we have to just make a better product overall and a better company for for the long term yeah no definitely i mean i i can't even imagine like the first days of i mean especially having rescheduled from may to august and then having to eventually you know ultimately cancel it like had to be like a logistical nightmare to 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 navigate through all that stuff so i mean kudos to the team for all the things that y'all have been able to to weather through and still maintain a presence um, so, uh, you know, on that note, like now that you're not doing any other events, like what are some of the new activations and things that y'all are working on to just kind of keep things going and stay focused in 2020 to, to move things forward with the DreamHack community? All right, I'm going to put my nerdy marketing, marketing hat on one more time. Oh yeah. <laughs> so I think the biggest challenge, um, if we, if we take away the pandemic for a second and and be critical about the event space as a whole. Yeah. Here's the big challenge that everybody has for them. Um, the announcement event is happening. People are like, Oh hell yeah, this event's happening. I'm really excited. And then the, all the hype kind of dies down for a little bit. There's blips here and there, whenever announcements happen about the event. And then it's, you know, a month, two weeks, the week of the event, anticipation soars so high, the event itself happens and the chatter around the event is at an all-time high. Um, you know, it's the day after the event and people for the next week are posting, oh, I miss I miss being at DreamHack. And then it's crickets. Yeah. For like the next nine months, right? Until we repeat that cycle over and over again. That is how it is for just about every event-focused company in the world, period, right? So for us as a brand, the, the big conversation is, you know, how do we move aside from having DreamHack Dallas fans 
DreamHack Atlanta fans, DreamHack Summer fans, you know, uh, DreamHack Montreal fans, DreamHack, you know, et cetera. How do we move aside from that cyclical sort of cycle and make it so that instead we have DreamHack 365 fans who are plugged in year long worldwide? That's the big focus for our team during these times is to, to build up that side of it. Um, I know a lot of other folks in the event space have really focused on the idea of what a virtual event would look like as a standalone. And for us, we're less interested in what I would call a, a, a COVID Band-Aid and yeah. more interested in trying to figure out, well, how can we make long-term products or, uh, that you know eventually we can scale up and actually integrate into our festivals as content pieces? So, you know, for example, something very little that we have is our, our podcast, right? Um, the DreamHack download. The idea with that is, um, in addition to you know giving uh, the gaming communities uh, the inside scoop on what's happening, not only with DreamHack but within the gaming ecosystem as a whole, uh, we would like to make it so that we can eventually scale that podcast up to the point where, at the next DreamHack event that we can do, it's actually the DreamHack podcast live, right? Yeah where the audience can participate and we're, we're giving our thoughts like we normally would in front of them, uh, et cetera. I think little things like that are really helpful. It's just a matter of trying to figure out, okay, what content pieces work, what don't work, what new content pieces can we do to really appease our existing fans? What content pieces can we have to bring in new fans? And how does it all tie into the big picture of DreamHack, especially whenever we're ramped up again fully with events to the point where we can have a good workflow that allows us to keep doing these content pieces without taking away from the enormous amount of work that it takes to actually put on the event itself. So it's a bit of a balancing act. It's a lot of experimentation right now, but it's been fun. Yeah. I've, I've really been enjoying the, uh, I mean, as far as like the content y'all have been putting out, like the DreamHack download I've been listening to, I've listened to every episode, really enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed the dynamics between, uh, everybody, like you can obviously tell that y'all are good friends, you know, in addition <laughs> to being coworkers. But uh, I really appreciate that, you know, insider industry look at these events based, like hearing hearing all the different um, roles that, that your team has and how they're right. approaching, like from the, you know, having the creative director on there talking about, about, you know, the different things with the events themselves and just the the different dialogues that y'all have had has been really interesting to hear from that perspective. Cause a lot of times you're hearing people on podcasts that are either journalists, you have that perspective or there's people like us who are just like, you know, love gaming and we talk about video games, but there's like a third perspective that y'all bring to it because you're doing something a little bit, you're not journalists, you're not, you know, just, you know, gamers, you're like super involved in this gaming space and, and growing the community as a whole and like building the community aspect from a, a global scale. And right. so seeing the, those insider um, just insights into just the logistics behind how this stuff works. And um, also the excitement that you all have about this. Like it made me appreciate <laughs> DreamHack more because like I can tell that everybody like just generally is in, very much like passionate about what they're doing and, and with the company and you know, the whole entire brand and everything. And that's, that's really cool right. to see. So, um, yeah, big, big fan of that and looking forward to seeing, seeing more of that and hearing more of the voices from, from inside. So that's been, been good. Yeah. I mean, we love doing it, man. And <clears throat> I think it does help that like the job itself is, you know, it's so valuable, right? 
Like it just brings you joy whenever you're able to do everything right. Like there, I'm not going to lie the the moments leading up to an event. Uh, and maybe this is something we haven't talked about personally, because the last time we talked in depth about this was well before we were DreamHack was supposed to happen in Dallas last yeah. year. Right now that I've gone through a couple, I can tell you that it is so stressful. <laughs> <laughs> Especially like the, the the week that's leading up to it, it is ludicrously stressful. The amount of work that really goes into it, I mean, you're you're staying up like crazy. You're working constantly. Um, it's tough, arduous, backbreaking work for sure. But once you're at the show and you see those faces and you have that one moment. After all those fires have all been put out or whatever, right, in, in the morning, when something finally works and you see the faces and the joy that people have that are there, it clicks that, wow, like, we're not doing this for ourselves, right? We're doing this for all these people. Yeah. Um, and that's really hard right now is that I can't necessarily do that the way that I would like to. And I totally understand why, of course, you know, I'm, I'm eager to, to be able to help grow more events whenever it, it is safe to do so. Um, but you know, until then, all we can do is really try to figure out uh, how can we provide that same value that we gave our fans just digitally instead. Yeah, so. definitely. So what, what does that look like? Three sixty five DreamHack <laughs> minus the podcast. Yeah, that's that's some, a million dollar question. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, I think so. So for me, I think um, a big part of it would be uh, really expanding what we're doing digitally more than anything else. Uh, 365 is not only a reference to fans being engaged with us, you know, year long and everything like that, but it also represents an opportunity for us as DreamHack to potentially set up new revenue streams also, right? That are not necessarily just tied to us doing events or doing, you know, big productions, right? Trying to figure out ways where, you know, we're providing our fans a disproportionate amount of value from an entertainment perspective and then simultaneously setting up ways to appease the partners that we work with to give them more value as well, I think is really the big side of it for us. Right. Um, I think that there's a lot of work that we need to do, of course, um, when it comes to uh, our content itself, you know, making sure that every single time that we're putting out a content piece, we're constantly evaluating what worked, what didn't work, what do we need to do moving forward? Does this piece makes sense to continue? Does it make sense to pivot in some sort of way? You know, asking those kinds of hard questions is super important for us because, you know, again, like we're trying to make it so that it's very valuable, right? And it's something that people have a lot of joy from, right? Even if it's not a hundred percent of the joy that they would normally have going to a DreamHack event, we want to make sure that there is a proportional amount of joy that is surmised from that content. And then beyond that also, identifying in the future, okay, well, maybe outside of our com company, what are interesting content pieces that other people are doing that we can somehow support or bring into like our media portfolio of sorts, if you will, right? Mm -hmm. Like those are, I guess, more long-term kind of goals that we have around that. But I think that once we do that, then now we have like a really thorough content funnel that will keep our audience entertained year long. Uh, and combine that also with like, a lot of other insider things that I can't really talk about right now yeah. uh, is going to make it so that um, the view of our brand is going to be, I think, I think really, really uh, different, uh, yeah. especially whenever, whenever <clears throat> things uh, 
uh, kind of ramp up a bit for us. So yeah. would you consider yourselves the pack leaders? Because maybe just because I know you and you, <laughs> me and Brett kind of you know follow you guys. It's just kind of one of those things that we see is happening, but I don't see a lot of other people doing it. Or maybe I just don't see see it happening or following the right organizations. I don't know. I wouldn't go as far as to say that we're we're we're, we're leaders of the packs or that we're 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 the we're the we're the uh, you know the apex predator or anything like that. Whatever it comes to the, we're not the king of the jungle. We're not the king of the jungle by, like by any means. So. Yet, right? There's there's a lot of there's a lot of very well established names that are out there that. From a numbers perspective, from a, a developer and partnerships perspective, really are significantly above where we are. Mm-hmm. But the way that we look at it is normally that would be a very bad thing for us. But actually, the one silver lining about all of this is that now everyone in the event space, in my opinion, is on an even playing field. Yeah. The reality is that whenever events do come back, Everyone is going to take a hit whenever it comes to the number of people that are attending, right? Um, I can't say that I can see, um, just because I'm thinking about it right now, I can't say that I I, I see an event like, um, in the anime space, Anime Expo, right? It normally pulls in, you know, 120,000 unique visitors, right? Um I don't see their return <laughs> being that many people necessarily, right? I feel right. like they're going to not have as many folks. But the amount of people that they would lose on the on a year back versus the amount of people we would lose on a year back is way less for us and way more for some of these bigger players, which is why I think that it is more of a of an even playing field of sorts. And I'm really hoping that because of some of the strategies that we're doing right now, um, and because we are a little bit smaller and we can think much more nimbly maybe than some of the other players out there, when we come back, I think that our growth curve is going to be really, really beneficial overall. Um, and it's going to make it so that we can kind of be, I guess, at the head of the head of the table, if you will. Yeah. So what's everyone else doing then right now? Are they doing similar things like y'all? No, I mean, I, I think that a lot of other folks in the event space um, are, are a little bit more interested in maybe doing... Uh, a standalone virtual event instead, right? Um, for me, the way that I look at just a standalone virtual event uh, for uh, something somebody like us, I feel like it would be something that maybe we'd put a lot of resources into, but it wouldn't have nearly enough payoff. And most importantly, it wouldn't have long-lasting impacts, right? Because if you do a virtual event, you have value for, I don't know, if you're lucky, a week, yeah. right? Like, think about it. It's, if you're lucky, it's a week. It doesn't necessarily move the needle for anything next year or anything like that. It Again, like I was saying before, it's a bit more of a COVID Band-Aid. Um, and uh, that, that's, again, my opinion. There's a lot of people who are way smarter than me that think otherwise. Um, and I'll trust their their marketing teams and their decisions around that completely. Um, but for me, I see that as, a, as more of a Band-Aid maneuver than anything else. I think they're in this space where it's probably among the few event companies that are really more focused on dialing in from a content perspective and, and starting to ramp that up a bit. Uh, but it, you know, it remains to be seen who's going to have the, the winning strategy long-term, right? Yeah. I mean, everybody's, you know, really trying to f- navigate this whole new normal or whatever this new normal looks like. And no, there are no answers. There's no playbook for this. You know, it's not like you can look <laughs> at, you know, you start an event, like you have a playbook of what other event 
companies have done pre-COVID. But now that we're in this new new world, it's like there is no answers out there for what the right path is to do until you do the path and then hope that what you're doing is going to going to hit, you know. And then sure. the other thing too, it's like you don't we don't know when things are going to get back to like the way or if they ever will get back to the way they were. So I'm I'm curious yep. on like with that as you're planning for, you know, knowing eventually there will be events in the future and like what are those going to look like? What are some things that y'all are thinking about again, stuff that you can talk about that is sure. in preparation for this knowing that there are going to be a percentage of people that are going to be uncomfortable returning to a convention, how are you going to figure out ways to, to make them feel as comfortable as possible? I mean, that's, I feel like the hardest thing to, yeah. to navigate. Well, well, safety is a huge aspect of it. Yeah. Some of the things that we're talking about internally are ways we can make sure that we can, uh, better, I guess, I guess better mitigate the the high congestion areas, right? Heavy traffic areas. So that could be things like wider aisles, for instance, between booths to make sure that whenever people are are you know are walking together, it's it's not like they're packed like sardines necessarily, yeah. right? Um, <clears throat> there's thoughts of things like temperature checks and things like that, of course, at at the door. Um, and then there's also like other concepts too. Um, and I think that this is probably what I'm very interested in, not only in regards to what we as DreamHack do, but also how the live events industry as a whole changes. Right now, it feels like the metaphor, a successful event is really determined by how many people show up. And that's like the pure metric, right? Like the bigger, the better yeah. consistently. I'm curious to see, well, if it gets to a point where because of whatever limitations we're only allowed to have, X amount of people in the venue. What do you do to make that venue still convey the same amount, if not more value for that amount of people? Right. What kind of tweaks can you make to your event to make it so that it has the best aspects and more, and it's now been optimized for the amount of people that are, are present and available. Yeah. I think that those are the things that are very exciting to me personally. Uh, and again, it's something that I have no answers to because I'm just a dumb marketing guy. There's just a lot of thoughts in my head in regards to what events could potentially look like. Yeah. Um, but I am very excited. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's, it reminds me actually a lot. Um, there's this video on YouTube that I really like. Uh, maybe y'all have seen it. It's of this guy who's dancing at a festival by himself, Right. It starts okay. off and it's just literally this one dude dancing at a festival by himself. Um, after like a minute and a half of this person's recording, finally someone else joins him. And then like like 30 seconds after that, one more person joins him. Like five seconds after that, two more people join them. And then eventually by the end of the video, it's a massive dance party. That was all caused by one person. Yeah. Right? I feel like that's how live event growth typically works, right? Where the first couple of times you do it, you know, it's, 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 it's consistent, but it's a little bit slow. And then eventually you'll have like this massive spiking inflection point where people will come on like crazy. Um, yeah. The, uh, the, mar- the head of marketing for Anime Expo, I, got, I had a pleasure to talk with her. It's a girl named Megan. And she, she mentioned to me that there was like that moment where one year they literally, I think they doubled in size in regards to how many people came. Wow. And they were like, holy crap, this is so many people. But with COVID, what 
is ultimately going to happen is that every single event is going to be back to that square one, right? Maybe not necessarily just the one guy dancing by themselves, but it's going to be more like it's three people dancing. Yeah. And I think what makes or breaks and determines who's going to survive this long term is what the experience is for those three people dancing that makes it so that for everyone else who is just kind of watching on the sidelines, they feel comfortable participating. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I think that's a really interesting way to look. I mean, I, I almost think of things where, you know, you look at just from a numbers perspective or a money perspective, like you charge X amount of dollars per per head that comes in. And like you were saying, like volume is like a one of the bigger metrics of, you know, 100,000 people is better than having 80,000 people for the price point that they're paying. But I, I, I could see like, you know, if if there is an expectation of a smaller group of people coming, like increase, like offer, I don't know if it's tiers or what it could look like. Like, for example, I go to the Austin City Limits Festival every year. And uh, yep. well, when it was happening and uh, when I go there, it's like I buy the general mission pass. But then they have like, you know, five different tiers of passes you can get that yeah. give you like, you know, you get front row, like reserved area seating, plus like air conditioned bathrooms, this, that, whatever. Like I could see something like that providing value for gamers to who want a more. Um, I mean, I could, you know, if you have like some famous people or some some interesting people that that are there that you can get like exclusive you know, one-on-one conversations with that could be really cool to, to, to go through all of that. Um, so I don't know if you guys have, have looked into things of that nature, but there's, there's definitely a lot of things that, that could be done to, to just make that, that single person feel that more personalized kind of customized experience. That's a little, little higher, I guess, than, yeah. than what you normally expect. Yeah. I think the the most important thing is, not necessarily just tied to the numbers specifically in regards to how many people come, but really what the feeling is, right? If we can convey that strong community feeling, even if we take a dip in the amount of people that come the next time we're able to do events, I think that that's still successful because it means that we are like the feeling itself is the hardest part, right? The feeling itself is something that a lot of people in the event space, tried to replicate in one way or another. If you don't get the feeling right for 10 people, you can't grow it to 100,000 people, right? It it doesn't happen. Um, I I think for us, that's the big thing is like, is like, okay, uh, making sure that we have that strong sense community, regardless of how many people we are able to have in the building. That's the big thing. And if we can do that, if we can provide that kind of value, then I, I think we're going to be set long-term. Yeah. And that, I mean, that first event, such a big, big piece of it, you know, like once you get there, I mean, even if you know that there's going to be a huge cut, if you have those people that are there walk away and they're like, this was the best post COVID experience I could have possibly had. They're right. going to tell all of their friends and they're going to be like, this is the place that you need to be for this, you know, safety yep. experience, all that stuff. And it's just, it's just going to keep going up from, from that point. So that, that first one of like building those, like, the brand ambassadors, you know, are, are the, the key piece of, uh, you know, that growth, I think that, that helps a lot. Well, you got me excited because <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's fun to go to like packs and stuff and dream hack and all these things that have like lots of people and <laughs> I do hate crowds, <laughs> but having a more intimate experience with less people, I think can make for a better experience. You can, you know, meet new people, actually talk to people, you know, it's, you're not just lost in a sea, of bodies, you know, you can actually, you know, even the devs could probably be more intimate of 
you know, game devs that you have come because there's not a lot of people to deal with. You know, they they see thousands of people, so they're just kind of like in and out, in and out. Right, here's the game and all that. For the most part, they do a pretty good job. Even at the other events we went to, it's yeah. literally packed shoulder to shoulder. But yeah, you know, I think it for me, it, it got it's gotten me a little excited because of that. You know, yeah. who knows who I can meet? You know, <clears throat> I can actually look at people without seeing <laughs> heads everywhere. Tons of heads I, all but, over the place. Yeah, I do. I, I you know. It does feel nice sometimes, you know, whenever I go up to uh, HQ, usually we'll have like a room that kind of oversees the whole show floor. Yeah. And just seeing the, the sea of people sometimes, it's like, <laughs> oh, I feel that's cool. That's yeah. super cool. But yeah, you totally know, get it. even if even if it's if the sea turns into maybe a lake for a year, I think that it could still be an amazing experience regardless. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, you were talking earlier about the. Uh, the the width of halls or like lanes and stuff like that and i thought that was that was one thing i walked away from dreamhack this past year when when we went that i really appreciated because like i've been going to comic-con dallas comic-con or fan expo or whatever at the same venue for several years and it's like i feel like it's super narrow hallways and i feel like a sardine when i'm walking through the lanes but <laughs> yeah that was one thing and i think in dreamhack download one of your guys was talking about like that was i th- like a, a decision that like the there's that main lane that was like really wide and i was like that was the first thing that i thought of when i went there. i was like i feel like i can move and i can like flex you know like as i'm like traveling through the space and yeah, yeah, yeah we so got that, that giant really camera nice. trying not to hit people <laughs> right yeah. um good stuff um so i was i wanted to talk to you a little bit about just like how other gaming groups and things have been handling the 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 change in the fact that there was we didn't have E3 this year we haven't had any packs except for the first packs at the beginning of the year all these different things not happening that typically like you know at E3 we have all these convent or all these announcements crammed into like this one week and then now right. these publishers and stuff have been figuring out ways to adapt to well how do we you know get our content out there so there's been all these what what's been kind of cool is seeing the like consistent set of streams that have been going on throughout it how have you and your team like thought of this and seen how like do you think it's it's a have they handled it well is there any any thoughts that you've had about that that new way of like information and stuff like getting you know presented to the community now that there is no covid or anybody out there that you're like hey this is dude these guys are doing it really well I guess I'm slightly biased here because even though I got love for E3, they are competitors. Right, yeah. <laughs> but 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 what we feel like internally, and it's, it's more of a growing sensation, I think, industry-wide, is E3 um, is kind of having a little bit of an identity crisis of sorts, right? Yep. Um, when, when they started off, it felt like it was really kind of developer-focused and, and, and more of like an industry-specific event. Um, now it's kind of this weird thing where, like, is it, an industry event is it a, a journalist event is it a public event it's still trying to figure out what it's trying to do um while simultaneously um charging the people who kind of build up the show an exorbitant amount of money to build up the show right that's one of the reasons why i think uh companies like nintendo for instance um and 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 others have sort of kind of gone and done their own digital events even before COVID was to make it so that they would be able to avoid, you know, the exorbitant amount of fees that they would have to pay for providing E3 with content essentially. Yeah. Right. 
<clears throat> that's a model that we we really don't really subscribe to, to be honest. Like for us, when it comes to uh, you know publishers and developers, we're really really pro- happy with trying to support them however we can. So if, if at the end of the day, like if a, if a pub or dev is bringing value to the show, you know we're willing to go the extra mile to make sure that they have the space that they need uh, and things like that without charging it an arm and a leg for that because we view that as content, right? Mm-hmm. But all that aside for a second, I think that even though there hasn't been a center focal point for all of these announcements this year, I still feel like there is so much hype regardless, right? Mm-hmm. Even if that hype is not conveyed over a week-long period, it really is, I think, ramped up consistently because of all these different uh, showcases and announcements that have been happening. Um, and I've honestly preferred it, to be honest. It feels like because it's a little bit more spaced out um, and it's not as crammed together, each of these individual presentations have had a lot of time to build up strong marketing campaigns and strong content as well to go along with it. Um, some stronger than others, for sure. Yeah. Uh, uh, but but I've, for the most part, actually enjoyed it. And what I'm curious about is to see if, Come next year, if Sony and Microsoft in particular are going to come back to E3 after seeing just how successful what they were able to do with their own standalone shows here, you know, we're we're able to hit, right? Like if you look at the numbers for E3 and contrast them to the numbers this year, is it really all that different? And if it's not, then does it make sense to still have a presence at that event, when you know the journalists, if that's the only you're going for, are going to write about your your announcements regardless. I don't know. It's a lot to think about yeah. there. But yeah, I, I think that it's going to have a pretty considerable impact in regards to maybe what E3 thinks of itself um, and, and how the event, if it comes back, is going to maybe need to change a bit to yeah. stay relevant. Yeah, the E3, I mean, we even saw kind of the writing on the wall earlier this year before even COVID happened with like, you know, Jeff Keighley pulling out of running the the call, I think the E3 Coliseum or whatever. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of interesting changes that were happening even before they announced that it had to cancel because of, of COVID. So I'm, I'm anxious to see what this time does for them in preparation for next year, you know, how they, how they do adapt and change. Cause I think there's been right. plenty of vocal voices out there saying that something needs to change with E3. Cause I mean, we went two years ago, was it Austin that we went yeah. 2018, yeah. I think. Yep. And I've been looking forward to going to that event forever. And I went and I walked away. Like it was cool <laughs> to see some industry. Like I, walked right by Hideo Hideo Kojima. I was like, that's cool. But other than that, like I waited in line for five hours to play Call of Duty World War II. (laughs) And that was just, it was cool to talk to people, but also miserable at the same time because it's just, you're waiting in lines and that's not fun. I mean, you want to, you want to be around other people and they don't have as much of that, like, you know, dream hack and packs. Like there's that, this whole community bonding kind of like, ideology that is so centric to the to the events that yeah is why you kind of go there i mean uh, you go to e3 to see cool games and stuff like that but after having gone that one time i'm like i i've appreciated better this year with the the streams throughout the year because it's like it also gives a lot more focus to these games that otherwise would 
get forgotten because you just cram through 35, 40 games in a week, whereas now you're having them much more space out. It gives them much more weight to each, uh, each game and lets people remember them and kind of digest them a little bit more than they normally would. Very true. Very true. So... Austin, you, were you going to say something? I, yeah, I was, was going to say, talking. E- even the press pass, even if you had a press pass, there was still a line. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, it was, just, it was just ridiculous. So, yeah, it was great that first time, but I was <laughs> like, I don't want to deal with that crowds. And then for, you know, here in Texas, we can actually create content. Like, we don't have to wait. We couldn't really take anything with us. Did we even take mics? Did we create a, create a podcast out there? Uh, at E3? Maybe we I, did. I think we did. Well, I don't remember, actually. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Probably it, did. Probably it just did. wasn't feasible uh, for us to actually do anything. So it's kind of kind of makes sense not to actually go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I think somebody told me that uh, the the true E3 experience is not to get a badge, but just to get a room at the JW Marriott <laughs> and hang out at the bar there. You'll run Dude. into everybody that way <laughs> that you want to meet. <laughs> that is super true, actually. That's I awesome. mean, it's yeah. I feel like that's the way with a lot of conventions and stuff too. Like if they're <laughs> at a place where there's a lot of like big name people, like the best place to meet them is at the after party events and, and, yep. and yeah. you know, find them at those, those things instead. Um, that's always the, uh, the excitement that comes into play. It's like this last PAX this year. I mean, we went to this gearbox party afterwards and that was awesome. Cause we met all kinds of people from different places and yeah. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. You were down there. We were trying to meet up and we weren't able to meet up. Yeah. And I was so yeah. bummed. What like, happened? I don't remember exactly what happened. I, I was retired that day or like just I just got worn out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, my wife wasn't feeling too hot. Yeah. Um, dang. But we yeah, tried. But it, I, I'm told it was, a, it was a fun time. Oh, yeah. Probably a pretty wild party because Gearbox. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, no, it was fun. Um, we met some of the, the Akon people there, which was cool. So we were hanging out with them for a little bit. Yeah. And oh, uh, nice. just yeah. like just I met tons of people. And um yeah, it was it was a good time, and it was at a piano bar. So I mean, yeah, can't go wrong they're, with that. The Acon team, they're they're great people. Yeah. I, uh, I, I, man, I, even among my group of friends, and I'm sure there's bias here because I work for DreamHack, but we were all very excited for like the tag team, you know, DreamHack X Acon event. <laughs> so were we, <laughs> dude? That was that would have been crazy, you know, a, like a million square feet of content. Yeah, oh my gosh. Well, cause Dude. wait, so if you, how was, how was the ticket sales for that? Was it, you buy one ticket and you go to both or I forgot how that worked out. So there, you could, there were, we still had our individual events, but we also had the bundle pass, which mm. was like the golden ticket that would get you into both events essentially. Yeah. Um, it was, man. And we had some plans. Oh, we had some plans, man. Save those uh, plans. Hopefully, hopefully yeah, one of these days we'll. <laughs> The stars the, will align, and you'll be able to make it happen maybe. even bigger and better. Well, the question oh, is, man. will it still be relevant by the time we you, y'all can do it? Oh gosh, I hope so. Yeah, I, that's the thing is that uh, you know, to preface, we we're very fortunate. You know, the things that I'm saying now, where it's like you know, the, that COVID's a bit of a blessing in disguise for us because we're able to work on things that we normally wouldn't have time to work on otherwise. A lot of other event companies. And event owners and operators don't have that luxury, right? right? Um, we're very fortunate that we have uh, the backing of our parent company that is is fairly sizable that that views us as a long term play and thus is you know okay with weathering the storm as is. And a lot of more independent organizers don't have that, so it is really tough. And I really do feel for a lot of those, uh, you know folks who maybe like 
derive their whole livelihood off of being able to do events that now all of a sudden can't. Like on our team, we we have Alex Jabaley, um, aside from being the, the Jabated uh, face on Twitch, uh, he actually is a world-renowned fighting game organizer, right? He puts on some of the biggest fighting game events in the world. Wow. You know, events like CEO, he gets contracted by uh, a ton of big publishers to help them put on events, uh, et cetera. And man, it's just like tough to talk to him and just hear like, you know, a guy who had three events planned for this year and has to cancel two of them. And, you know, the the one event that he was able to do, you know, he actually reversed his refund policy to make it so that people who were uncomfortable coming because cases were spiking were able to get free refunds as a result of that. You know, like, like, good dude. The the fact that he prioritized community over his own personal well-being there, like, that is such a tough call to make. Even though it's the right call to make, it is really hard, Mm -hmm. I think. And I, I, you know, there's a lot of people, I think, who maybe can look on the outside and be like, oh, I would pick community over my well-being every time without actually like thinking and actually putting themselves in those shoes and being like yo what if i can't eat tomorrow yeah because of what i'm doing you know seriously like like it's it's tough it's very tough um but i i really am hoping that that at the end of all of this um we're able to get really creative with it i think that for for me, when I think about some of my favorite films, some of my favorite games, etc., a lot of them have come out of times that have been marred with a lot of challenge. Where maybe it's not, maybe the money wasn't as much as they needed it to be. Maybe the uh, conditions for filming weren't correct. Maybe things really weren't, I guess, up to expectations in regards to the conditions that were given to create this product or to create this piece of art. But they were able to use these hindrances as ways to create something unique that totally blew everyone's minds. And I hope that there are for the folks who are able to make it like there, there is at least that amount to look forward to. Right. That the future of events, not just for DreamHack, but for all event organizers is so much brighter than it could have ever been before. And that it, maybe it's not just strictly tied to how many people come to your event, but just how much value you can provide to those individual attendees at a much higher scale. Yeah. I like it. It's like a refresh across the board. Yeah. 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 I dig it, man. Good opportunities. (laughs) Awesome. Well, I think we'll probably wrap up this discussion here. So Justin, uh, tell us where people can find you, where we can find all the cool things that DreamHack is doing right now. Let us know. Sure. So you can find DreamHack, um, at DreamHack on every single social platform. Um, we have a ton of content pieces on our YouTube as well as our podcast, The DreamHack Download, which you can find on all your favorite podcast platforms by searching The DreamHack Download. Um, as for myself, uh, you'll find me at JVARG1990 uh, on all social platforms as well. I'm definitely most active, though, on Twitter. I am a fiend on twitter so get me there (laughs) that's awesome that's awesome well man we really appreciate you having having you on the show and for sticking with us on your your sunday giving us your sunday after or (laughs) afternoon to hang out uh been a lot of fun catching up and stuff like that and glad you're doing doing well staying healthy all that good stuff and uh looking forward to hanging out in person again you know and seeing each other face to face and playing some smash brothers Ooh, eventually Hell Eventually, yeah. we still gotta go to a brewery. That. 
I know. <laughs> yes, we do. Yes, we do. <laughs> all the above, all the above. Well, everybody, uh, again, you know, thank you, Justin, for being on the show. And everybody that's listening, that's going to wrap it up for our discussion this week. If you want to contribute to next week's segment, give us a shout at theinnergamer.net or you can join us on our Discord channel with that link in the show notes and let us know what you'd like to hear there. We'll be right back with our upcoming video game releases. You're listening to The Inner Gamer. Looking forward to next week, let's talk about our upcoming video game releases. We have four titles, surprisingly, that are coming out in the next week. Starting with, on the 27th of August, we have Tell Me Why. This is the Don't Nod Entertainment next title, in which it uh, features two twins. After 10 years apart, they're reunited, Tyler and Allison, to sell their childhood home. They soon realize their past is not what they remember. So if you know of Don't Nod, you know that this is going to be very heavily story-driven. It's episodic as per usual, and it looks to be very, very interesting. So this is coming to you on Xbox One and PC on the 27th. And then on the 28th, we have three games coming out. We have Project Cars 3 on PS4, Xbox One, and PC. Journey from the Weekend Warrior to Racing Legend. Experience the thrill and emotion of authentic racing. Own, upgrade, and personalize hundreds of cars. Customize your driver. Tailor every setting and play the way you want in your ultimate driver journey. On the 28th as well, we have Wasteland 3 on PS4, Xbox One, and PC. This is a squad-based RPG featuring challenging tactical turn-based combat in a deep, reactive story full of twists, turns, and brutal ethical decisions that will keep you hooked, whether you're a Wasteland veteran or new to the series. Create a squad of up to six Rangers as you customize them with perks and abilities geared to your playstyle. You even get your own battle truck, which you can upgrade into a hardened war beast bristling with weapons to help mow down your enemies. Awesome, this game looks really, really good. And I think this is a game that you should check out because I feel like your background in XCOM would probably find yourself interested in this. It's not It's not like, I don't think it's turn-based 100%. No, it is turn-based, yeah. I feel like you'd like this game, so I would look into it. I think I've heard about it. Yeah, I've talked about it before, but it, from what I've read, it's like supposed to be a pretty solid next, next uh, title for the series. Um, and then on the 28th as well, we have Windbound on PS4, Xbox One, PC, and Switch. This is a game in which the Forbidden Islands are calling. Unlock their secrets. Shipwrecked on an island, explore, adapt, and navigate the land in perilous seas to stay alive. And finally, entering into September, on September 1st, we have Iron Harvest on PS4, P- Xbox One, and PC. This is an RTS real-time strategy game set in the alternate reality of 1920+, plus, just after the end of the Great War. This game lets you control giant diesel punk mechs, combining epic single-player and co-op campaigns as well as skirmishes with intense action on the battlefield for multiplayer fans. Iron Harvest is a classic RTS game fans have been waiting for. This game caught my attention when they first announced it because it's like, you know, future and past mixed together very, very well and just looks zany and crazy. And it's an RTS game, which we don't get many of those anymore. So very, very much looking forward to that. And with that, that's going to wrap up our show this week. Be sure and check us out next Tuesday for more from your favorite video game podcast. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to join us on Twitch every single Wednesday at 7 p.m. Central Time at twitch.tv slash theinnergamercast. Oh, yeah. And if you want to support our show, you can donate on our website over at theinnergamer.net. All donations go towards making the podcast videos and streams even better. You can also join in on the conversation over on our Discord channel, so check out the show notes for that link. And as always, if you cannot contribute monetarily, please take time to share this episode with a friend, family member, or loved one. Maybe a stranger on the street. Who knows? You just want to stop someone and be like, hey, listen to this, damn it. 
And uh, the more eyes we get in front of our content, the faster we grow, and it helps more than you know. So thank you for your continued support. I'm Austin Morales. And I'm Brayton Oski. And you've been listening to the Angular Podcast. We'll catch you guys next week. Podcast out!